It is May 26, 2021, Lawyer Talk Blitz Edition. Like every other Wednesday, we've been uh, cranking this out with the Blitz. We expect an interface any minute, um, answering legal questions with Loper and Randy over there at 99.7. We got Brett here from Circle 270. Jared, what, what the hell is he doing on vacation? What a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, he's out at uh, he's out in the Ozarks, hanging out with his family. How dare he? X checker those here, beard not check checking the X's. Uh, so we're any minute we're gonna have the blitz coming in. I mean, <clears throat> what's going on in the world? I don't know. Things are, lots th- of volcanism in the world. I can tell you that, man. Have you guys seen that stuff from Iceland? That's crazy stuff going happening up there. What is it? Volcanism. All volcanism. The, oh my yes. goodness! Tell us uh, what volcanism is. Well, there's a volcano that just erupted in. Uh, so this isn't like Spock. No, it's like volcan volcanoes. This is volcanoes. Gotcha. Volcanism, magma, burning hot magma. Uh, there's one in Africa that just went off uh, for the first time in 20 years. Uh, some of these haven't gone off in 800, 900 years. And when you say go off, it's like a, an eruption. <clears throat> we have eruptions with magma ash the whole nine yards pretty spectacular yeah so it's like the end of days type stuff going on it's uh it's getting there uh i need to check it out and see exactly uh how rare some of these are yeah i i don't recall ever hearing this this many volcanoes going off at the same time didn't we just have an anniversary of uh mount st helens uh we did yeah that was uh, i don't know that was a big daddy no, that was 1980-81 it went off. Man, I remember watching those plumes on the news of <clears> yeah. Mean, it was uh, Yeah, the whole the whole one side just blew off. Yeah. I mean, you you geology geeks were probably all oh. over that. And that one guy gave his life to get the pictures basically. Yeah. Yeah, well there are a couple people um a couple forest strangers and stuff that lost their lives. Uh there's a whole campground. Some people got out, some didn't. There's some old dude there. God, I forget his name. Uh he had a cabin, really awesome. He's like, "Map, I ain't leaving. This is where I'll die," and that's where he died. Yeah, eight feet of ash later. <laughs> I think I'd leave. I, I, you know, it's like my, and maybe he was already. I, mean, I don't know how old he was, but eighty something. He was 80. ready. Yeah, he was ready. He's like, "Nah, whatever." I still think I'd take the lifeline. Now, if you really want to get spooky with that, there are all sorts of reports of uh, burned Bigfoot being recovered. We yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like uh, he said, there we go. As we did, so, sorry, that's how we can fix it. Yeah, I mean, like we have aliens now, so why not Bigfoot? It's all back on the table. Well, maybe it's a cicada <laughs> yeah, situation. It's, it's a seventeen-year. We just get freaky. You think Bigfoot's like the cicadas? I mean, maybe they uh, maybe uh-huh. they eat cicadas. Who doesn't? So now? they come around, <laughs> and that makes perfect sense. <laughs> you know. I wonder and if Jared has some recipes for cicadas. Biblically, they ate cicadas. I they know did, that. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, they're yeah. like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually reading the Bible again, or maybe for the first time completely, and they're talking about dining on cicadas. Sure. Oh. And locusts or whatever. Well, it's supposed to be a really great pro, potent protein, right? Look, if you're hungry, I'm you're going to sure. eat it. You're, you're going to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's naked and afraid. It's like yeah. fear factor stuff. <laughs> right. uh, you either eat or you die. So yeah. you go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, 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 Joe Rogan would force those down people's throats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my cat eats them. He, he's out there prowling around. Eating my, cicadas? Oh, yeah. He ate them. I had to pull it away from him. My dog ate one, and then I would go out later, and there, he barfed it up with all his food. 
Now, are cats are cats omnivores? Or are they just carnivores? What, what's a cat? They eat everything. They're omnivores. Like everything. A bear. They're like bears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So cats and, and dogs really are too. Sore dogs. dogs. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. some breeds uh, have to eat grass. Want oh, to eat grass for yeah. their diet? Yeah, I call it grazing. All yeah. my dogs have eaten like grass. The, her- and the herding stuff. dogs usually do because yeah. they're out there exactly. anyway. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah. Our, our uh, that's what Australian I have. cattle dog eats grass. Yeah, I got Australian shepherds. Yeah. So yeah, my dog likes t-shirts. <laughs> Generally speaking, made out of hemp. Oh, that's, maybe that's bad though. That <laughs> yeah. can if he if he swallows oh, yeah. that, that's bad. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. Now, uh, and oh. and he's he's sort of sneaky about it. Like I'll I'll uh-huh. go in the other room and I'll come back and I come back and he's on the bed and my t-shirt's <laughs> underneath his head. Uh huh. Now I'm cool with that, but then I don't know if it's anxiety or whatever whatever would cause it. Then I'll come back in another time and he's starting to eat it. I'm like, no, no, uh, Dexter, no, no, can't do that. <laughs> Sorry. That's got that's got blockage written all over yeah. it. And that's a that's a vet Look, surgery. I, I clean up the patio mess where yeah. he does his yeah. business. Yeah, and a lot of times there's like hunks of t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Dexter, Dexter, so Dexter. so do your dogs roll in your dirty shirts? No, it depends on the dog. Um, Ours does all the time. It's that yeah. it's that want to smell like the family. It, it, yeah. At first, I'm like, what are you doing, Miles? And he's like, that's why I looked it up. It's like. Not unusual. They yeah. want to smell like the herd they're in. Yeah. They, so they'll yeah. roll in your old, yeah. uh, you know, used to, or, you know, dirty T-shirts. Yeah. 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 It's so simple. Dog, I mean, and who knows if we really know, but they, they smart people have figured this out. I was asking a trainer for some help. My, my Dexter is a lab and he's a hunter. He's a pointer, mm-hmm. which is not really a lab thing. So it's sort of like you're forcing a round peg in a square hole, but he's pretty good at it and they'll retrieve. And I was talking to the guy at the place where I was hunting and he just said this and it made perfect sense. He's like, listen, this is programmed in them. They, they need a leader. And if you're not going to be the leader, guess what? They'll do it. They'll do it. And they don't know how. And they don't know how. That's right. (laughs) So it's going to be chaos. Yep. (laughs) And he goes that, and then he, then he finished it up and he said, this is what this process is all about, right? It's, it's not like we're training them to go, to go, wait for the wait for you while they watch this bird for you and then after you shoot it go find it and bring it back we don't have to train that that's what they do in the wild the beta dogs are their job is to go get food and bring it back to the pack right that's what he's doing and i was like right. oh that makes perfect yeah. sense it's like why didn't i think of that <laughs> and, and caesar milan says you have to be the pack leader you have to be the pack leader. Yeah, and you can you can tell you it's in their faces. They're looking for something, somebody totally. alpha. Man. Totally follow along. Always. It doesn't matter, male, female. They as have long to. As they somebody... have to have structure. Right. They have to have. Oh yeah. I mean, it's almost like a two-year-old, especially the smart ones. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when you get up to, my God, I mean, Aussies will freaking find a way to get into anything. Left to their own devices. Yeah. It, they go nuts. And yep. uh, and I think you're right. The smart ones probably more so because oh, yeah. they they want to go be leaders. They just don't know how. Now right. they'll figure it out eventually. They'll figure oh, out how to order collies. Whew, man, yeah. they'll, they'll heard they'll heard your ceiling fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shel- my parents had a shelter had shelties for a while. They're like yeah. Aussies, right? They're sort of cousins. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they're herding dogs. Yeah. 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 And I had a lab at that time, the the chocolate Taylor. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, my parents had a pool, and the the activity all day. Every summer, every day, was my dog Taylor fetching in the pool. Like, and she would take these. I would get her all. I'd get her a two hundred yard head start. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, make her stay. And then yeah. I go all the way to the edge of the pool, and I call her, and she would come running as fast as she could. <laughs> and then you throw the the thing out, and she'd jump in the pool and dive and get it. And then the shelties, 
would go crazy. They would start circling the pool yeah. <laughs> and barking yep. Yep. And, and, and guide her back to where the stairs were. Yeah. And then, oh. then they would they would take her all the way back, they'd do it and again. they would do it again. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, I'm not even part of this. This is just, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is just dogs, right? This is like dog capade. I mean, it's, it's dog heaven, man. That's like I'm not doing anything here. Yeah, this that is dog's just, doing what it should do, and that dog's uh, doing what it should do. Yeah, and, and they all love it. Yeah, they love it, and they'll do it all day long. They, it, it, yeah. Until they drop. Yeah, yeah. Until they drop. <laughs> so my youngest Aussie now. I mean, Laura takes this dog for five mile walks every day, every day. Rain or shine, they go out cold, whatever. That dog comes back. She's just warmed up. Yeah, she's just ready to go. go. I'm like, this dog needs a ranch. Yeah. 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 Well, what they no. say about it, like a good Aussie, Aussies are a little bit more versatile and they're more friendly in the family atmosphere for the most part. You know, dog's a dog. Um, where the where the Border Collie is a preeminent, like, sheep dog, Aussies can do that, uh, but they, they really excel in cattle. And it's amazing. They say one good Aussie is worth five men on horseback. Really? That I believe. Can you believe that? Yeah. My, yeah. my, my daughter had... Australian cattle dog, a, a one-year-old. Oh, nose dogs. It, it didn't. It was uh, the the blue. Uh, yeah, line. blue healer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like being in an apartment sort of thing, so we no. had to get it back too. But it, we gave it back to the trainer who was on a farm, and that dog went nuts with cattle. She, yeah, she did a video, short video of it. Oh yeah. some cattle, natural. I mean, it's in them. Well, so Amazing. I was going to say that I I used to take all my Aussies, and there are farms out there where you pay twenty five bucks, and they'll show you how to work mm -hmm. sheep oh, or that's whatever. Funny. Yeah. And you just see if your dog has it or not. It's amazing. You know, this, you can have a house did. dog, then all of a sudden, bam, there it is. It's oh, wait, who are you? Yeah. yeah. Well, those. There we go. All right. It looks like we got the Blitz. Uh, we are tuning in with the Blitz. We'll be back with our live feed after that. 821-9970. If you need free legal advice on Loper and Randy, better call Steve. Steve Palmer's going to join us right now. What's up, man? Hey, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Hey, pretty good. The legal lines are open at 821-9970 if you have a legal question. So I had a, a question here via email. If you guys ever want to email Loper at blitz.com, L-O-P-E-R. So this guy bought, uh, wrote a super long email, man. Like, let's condense, guys. Just two paragraphs. Condense that, please. Those are fantastic paragraphs, okay? Just two of them. That's Just how two. I like my milk, condensed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's what his basic question is. He bought this Mustang, and he feels like he bought it from, like, a, a used car dealership, and mm -hmm. he feels like he got a lemon. He's been back. He says he's taken the car back and forth three times. And he wants to know what kind of laws are in the state of Ohio for lemons regarding automobiles. Well, not good ones for used cars. Generally, there's not a lemon law for used cars. Um, and and uh, trust me, this is a or not not trust me, but th this is an area where lawyers make a career out of it. You know, there, there's a body of law on cars and car dealerships and and buying and selling. But generally speaking, the lemon law applies to new cars, not used cars. Uh, and it, what we look for in these kind of deals. When you're when you're with a dealership anyway is fraud. In other words, was there a misrepresentation about the sale that uh, was false? And that's what you have to look for because most of those used cars are going to say as is, no warranty. You're stuck with it. All the paperwork is uh, is explicit about that. But then we look for things that maybe the dealership or the car salesman said to you like, oh no, it it's fine. 
uh, no accidents, or it's fine, got a brand new motor, and it turns out that stuff is false. Now you can step outside the contract of the car deal and work with a fraud allegation. You know, a lot. I, I, I've helped a lot of people with these kind of problems, actually, on the blitz here. But it, I usually just tell people, be a squeaky wheel here. Keep calling. Keep bugging them. Uh, if, if the problem is um, is real and there, there are huge issues with the car, a lot of times the dealerships will, will try to make it right. Uh, some of the fly-by-nighters, eh, they're just going to walk away from you, and they don't care because they're not after you to come back. They just want everybody else. So uh, if you want any help with it, give me a shout, 614-224-6142. I'll be happy to to talk it through with you. All right. So this guy says he has a local business here in town and he has a slogan that he's used for over 20 years. And he says that now there's a competing business that's using the exact same slogan. He's never gone through any copyright law to actually have like the slogan copywritten, but is there any sort of like implied law? Like after you use it for so long attached to your business that it kind of becomes your slogan? Man, I don't know. I hate to say I don't know, but I don't know. Uh, I, copyright law, it's sort of like the lemon law stuff. It, it's a very unique area of practice. I would guess that there is not something, at least not statutorily, that says uh, you're entitled to a slogan just because you've used it. Um, you know, we do have ways to protect that through copyright or otherwise. But um, there's a few guys I know who do this work, and uh, I'm sure there's a quick answer, and I might even be able to get an answer for you if I did a little bit of research, and I'd be happy to try to do that if it's if I can do it quickly. Uh, so if you want to give me a shout, 614-224-6142, uh, maybe I can I can help you out or at least refer you to somebody who can. Um, you know, if the slogans, uh, if you've got it ingrained and deep enough and you really use it's really yours, it may not be too late to go get it protected now. I, I, I suspect that the other guy has not. Um, but even then, there may be some issues that uh, that are unique to the situation. So I hesitate to give solid advice here because I know what I don't know, and this I don't know. All right, we have Jeremy on line one. What's up, Jeremy? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Yep, you're on with Steve, buddy. What's your question? Uh, just kind of a, I just have a, want to get a general ballpark answer here. I work for a delivery company. I used to work for Amazon. Now I work for like a small independent company. Um, and I was wondering, aside from doing anything like completely terribly illegal, like, you know, speeding, reckless driving, things like that, as a driver of the vehicle that I'm currently in, if I got pulled over and was given a ticket for something or if the officer wanted to search my vehicle or something like that, am I held to the exact same kind of standards as I would be if I were driving my own vehicle or is there some sort of distinction that um, is made when I'm, you know, in a work vehicle? Well, I guess that's a pretty broad question. I, I would tell you this, as far as the standards go, you're subject to all the uniform traffic laws in the state of Ohio, uh, whether they're state, local, or uh, even down to the village area. But if, so you've got to follow the rules. Now, as far as if you're pulled over and they want to search your car, there's no difference really between what you're driving, uh, if it's a employer vehicle or your own personal vehicle, if the police have the legal justification to get around the Fourth Amendment implications of this. In other words, they're allowed to search your car for one reason or another, then they're going to do it, and they're not going to care if you're driving a, a, a your boss's car, a business's car, or your own personal car, or even your friend's car. Uh, that's that, There's nothing unique that way. Now, it's a different question. If you are negligent and have an accident and somebody is injured as a result, you may have some uh, – protection may not be the right word, but your employer may have some responsibility – uh, for that, if you're driving within the course and scope of your employment, 
then there's this concept called respondeat superior, which is really fancy talk to say the uh, you're going to go up the chain to the uh, your supervisor. You know, the the person in charge is going to respond to the lawsuit, not necessarily the driver. And uh, their insurance typically will cover that. This is why, incidentally, when people come to me with drunk driving cases, I ask them, what kind of car are you driving? Where do you work? Because there's a lot of uh, businesses out there that 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 give you uh, a car, and they have something called fleet insurance. And if you have an OVI, they the you're not going to be on their fleet coverage anymore, and a lot of people lose their jobs that way. So uh, I guess if you have something more specific, let us know, and I'll be happy to uh, – to give you some help answer those questions, but uh, that's sort of the big picture anyway. Talk that. Thanks. Love the segment. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. We love you, Jeremy. All right. Here is Snow on line two. Okay. So this is probably like the dumbest question you guys are going to get, but uh, I picked up this dog on the side of the road, like the third. And in a week, it will be exactly 30 days. I looked it up and... <laughs> What I looked up online says various things like 30 days, you try to find the owner, you can keep the dog. So when I talk about a finder's keepers pooch law, (laughs) I mean, kind of like I've literally been trying to find the owner since I picked this dog up. I immediately, you know, because it was like really late on the third. So the next morning I went to um, my uh, local humane society they checked her for a chip the dog the dog has a chip the sheriff has looked for the owner reached out to the owner the dog warden um the humane society themselves like this the owner's not responding like now i've had this dog almost a month and a week like my kids attached my mom's attached i mean i'm kind of attached that dog's yours keep that dog girl keep that dog well, it's like I want to keep the dog. She's a good girl. Like, oh, I mean, she like she hops in my car. She doesn't jump. She doesn't get excited. She she's well trained. Like we have zero problems with her. My mom's got health problems. She's really good with my mom. And I'm like, kids. So, I, mean, I know. Like, how much do you want for her? <laughs> yeah. So uh, let me no, ask you this. No. What did they tell you about the chip? Is there a way to reverse look it up? And I know there's uh, there's some unique things about those chips that I, I think requires the actual owner to be looking to or to, or to be pinging it or whatever. But is there a uh, – did they give you any insight into the chip and whether that could be a clue to who owns it uh, from your angle? It was weird because when they scanned her the first time, the guy was like, do you see this? Like, to the lady that was with him. And she's like, yeah, try it again. So they check her again, like, all over. Because I guess they, like, they kind of migrate, I guess. Yeah. Oh, the chips. Okay. Like, yeah, there's the chip. So it gave them a number, but, like, the chip number or whatever. And they were like, okay, we'll get a hold of the owner. They won't tell me who the owner is, so I can't be like, hey, Randy, come get your dog. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Like, we don't even know, like, so they told me all it had on it was the owner's information. I don't even know the name of the dog. I call her Bailey Bug. Well, the owner's information <laughs> is what we're looking yeah, for, you? right? So here, generally speaking, I, I think this is going to be treated like lost property. His name's going to be like Crenshaw or something. <laughs> Crenshaw. <laughs> and lost property, generally what we're going to look for is a clue to ownership. And if there's no clue to ownership, then it becomes really lost property. Um, but again, there might be some uniqueness here. I don't know the law how, as it's written with dogs or how courts have treated this, but I would suggest maybe, uh, the following one, you should do everything you can to try to find the owner. And it sounds like you've done that too. You should get involved other agencies, particularly if you can government agencies 
that uh, you can say, look, I tried. These people have documentation that I tried. Um, and then three, on this chip thing, if if they know what – if there is the name and contact information of the owner, that's what we're looking for. They said, well, all it tells us is the name of the owner. Well, isn't that what you want? And I, I presume that there is a service out there that reaches out to the owners and says, look, your dog is found. There's a chip and uh, there's a process. So – I would make sure you check all those boxes so if somebody ever comes back and says, look, you stole my dog, you can say, no, I tried everything I could to find it. And not only that, I got the, the government agencies uh, involved, and they, are, they know what I've done. And I would, I would start with some input from them on how to handle this and make sure you do all this in the open. And, and again, this is one of those where I can't give you any firm legal advice. I just don't know the laws on this, but my, my instinct tells you uh, just to make sure you've checked all the boxes you can, make every reasonable effort to find the owner and identify that individual and return the dog. And if that doesn't happen, uh, just make sure that whoever you're working with, whether it's the, the local area humane society or if it's uh, actually the government entities that deal with these things wherever you live, then make sure they know what's going on. And I wouldn't hesitate to put all that in writing in an email or in any other uh, written form so you have documentation of what you've done. Now, you stopped at three, and I'd have to add one more, a fourth. If they do find the owners, then you ask them to do the TikTok challenge where you go to one side of the room and they go to the other. You put the dog in the middle. <laughs> you better be feeding it a lot of treats because right. I think Bailey Bailey girl will go to you. Like, I've got a 13-year-old, and my mom is like, like, she's a pit bull. So, like, my mom's like, oh, come here, Granny will give you this. I swear that dog in like three weeks has probably gained 30 pounds. Wait, that's amazing. So your mom wants the dog to call her granny? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like it it was so funny because I brought her home and she's like, we're not keeping it. And I'm like, I just, I really want to find the owner. Like she was really distressed and you could tell she was distraught when I picked her up. And my mom's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll find the owner. So like three days, three days. And she's like, Come to grandma. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that is hey, such a good story. Good luck to you. Okay. We are uh, out of time. Steve Palmer on with us each and every week. Thanks so much, my brother. Uh, if you guys want to check out his podcast, get it via the blitz.com or they can call you. How can they get a hold of you, Steve? Yeah, it's real simple. Check it out. Uh, LawyerTalkPodcast.com uh, or you can check out my law firm, OhioLegalDefense.com and always give us a shout 24 seven. If you need emergency legal advice, 614-224-6142. And live. All right. So we are going live. We're live. Yay. Lawyer Talk back live uh, here on YouTube Live. So I know all the millions of listeners across the globe are now tuned in live, dropping what they're doing, telling their boss this is more important. The Waking up playing. early. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is the most important thing that we should be doing. Uh, so those who missed it, we were just on the Blitz. And uh, every Wednesday, we tune in with the Blitz. It used to be I'd go to the studio over there and hang out with them and have a good time, and now we're in the studio here. So it's funny what what the, what the fills the hole that is uh, left by COVID is this studio and now a live interface, not only with the Blitz, but with us. we got the ex-checker at the helm. Hello, ex-checker, where are you? Check. There he is. Boom. Jay Simons, the ex-checker, our resident professional geologist. Of course, you, you corrected me when I said professional geologist. What else are you? Oh, I'm a... I'm a licensed professional geologist and a certified professional in the cleanup program here in Ohio for Ohio EPA. There he is, Jay, making your water clean. Yeah. 
Yeah. Water that's, and soil. That's not a, that's, it's dirty. Call me. That's not going to fill a business card real quick. Yeah. <laughs> we got uh, Brett over there. Circle 270 Media. Um, Circle 270. Helping us with oh. all the podcast need and, and really consulting with all sorts of businesses and individuals and others on podcasting, marketing, and, mm-hmm. and all the above. So Yeah. Making um, it happen. Beard, not here. He's at court, but that's all right. He was that's, here last week. It's good. And that was a great episode. That was yeah. that was go excellent. back, go like back we were, and listen to that one, folks. We that were was yeah. unleashed. Yes, it's like uh, the exchequer and Jared yeah. were uh, were like, all right, we'll just let these idiots argue. <laughs> oh, that was oh, that was tremendous. No, I really liked the back and forth. Anyway, finished up with the blitz. If you didn't catch that, we had some great questions, and the last one uh, really, as we were waiting to go live here, it really created a whole lot of discussion about lost property, found property, and uh, the morality of losing and finding property. Uh, what do you do if you find something and maybe you want to turn a little bit of a blind eye as to whether that uh, <laughs> you, you know who owns it or not owns it. But uh, uh, we're going to get to that and get back to it. But first, I want to start something new. I want to start a new sort of weekly thing. And uh, I, I'm a history buff. I'm a World War II history buff particularly. So I just, I'm just i going to go back in time and uh, what's going on in World War II, May 26, 1940. What's happening? Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. So mm-hmm. just, just a quick little rehash. In 19, mid-May, roughly around about May 10, probably, Hitler decides he's going to invade. He's going towards Paris, towards, Fran- towards France. He's basically going to uh, take over the continent and does so using his Blitzkrieg lightning-fast warfare. In the meantime, in the uh, throughout the latter part of the 30s, uh, France was preparing for this with something called the Maginot Line, which is this fortified bunker that they, they you know, it was an impenetrable defensive force premised upon technology that was completely outdated. <laughs> right? And as I say before, Steve, this war is not fought like the last war. That's correct. Because the Maginot Line was built on World War One tactics right. and technology. So World War- And what did Hitler do? He changed it. He went he, around it. He went around it. Mm-hmm. So we had like so World War One. It was this stalemate of trench warfare. Patton comes in at the end of World War One and says, "This is not." He was a quartermaster, uh, and everybody at that time just sort of realized this is crazy. We were just sitting in trenches, coming, sticking our heads up, getting them shot off, and then hiding in trenches again until we stick our heads up and get them shot off, and it just wasn't working. So eventually, they realized what we're going to do is we're going to throw, like I think it was like the chain link fences over top of the barbed wire. Um, what do they call those things? You were in the army. Uh, you know the barbed wire barriers. Yeah, just so you couldn't lack just, of a better word. Yeah, you couldn't just go over them because you get caught up in the barbed wire. Yeah. So then somebody just realized. I think now I'm shooting from long memory, but I think right. in World War Two or World War One they realized you could just get the functional equivalent of a chain link fence, throw it on top of the barbed wire, and then just walk right over and it. walk walk across. And then they would get. They finally had to get some. They got some mobility with armor and would hide behind the tanks and walk across and mm-hmm. kill each other. It was a lot more efficient to kill that way. <laughs> but right. You could actually gain some ground. Uh, and then Hitler took that and literally drove a tank through it in yep. World War II. He created his Blitzkrieg, which was mobile war supported by not only tanks and art- tanks and mobile armor, your specialty, right? Also, but Air Force, Air Force, yeah, yeah. So he had, uh, and it and was, also uh, methamphetamine. And they had them all geeked up on meth just to get them going. That's a true story. Nazis were were geeked up on meth. Their stormtroopers were geeked up on meth and could go three days. They're like, crazed. Like, why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. True. So, so, again, that war is not fought like the last war. And those tactics were brand new and nobody was ready for it because they were they all were still thinking trench warfare. Mm-hmm. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, the trench warfare was uh, was 
what everybody was expecting, something similar, but Hitler knew better. He took all the lessons that uh, we, and what's ironic is that we sort of, we, we being the, the good guys in World War One were the ones that sort of broke through. Like we figured that out, I think anyway. Yeah. And, and Hitler's the one that took that, literally drove his tanks through it, as we said, and and decided, I'm not going to fight war that way. I'm going to do it the Blitzkrieg way. And and within literally less than two weeks, so May 10, he invades, goes right around the Maginot Line. We've got the British Expeditionary Force is sort of fortified up north thinking, well, the Maginot Line is impenetrable. Uh, they can't go through the Ardennes uh, because that's the forest. Who would ever try to do something stupid like that? <laughs> um so we're going to fortify here. Instead, the Germans went right through the belly, right down the middle, right through the Ardennes. Right down the gut, man. Drove their tanks through the forest, up and down the hills and around. And what did they do? They turned north and cut off the British Expeditionary Force from uh, the south and from behind. At the same time, I think, I'm, I'm spit, spitballing here, I'm shooting from memory, but I think at the same time they go up through Holland. They went up the northern route, the Germans did, invaded Holland, came back down. So they sort of uh, created a pincer movement and uh, trapped the, they the trapped, Brits. what, 100,000 or, or basically the bulk of the British forces. Mm-hmm. If they would have pressed it, um, they would have won well, right then and there. We're not there yet because then then what you had is like uh, the Brits are sort of saying, we got to get the heck out of here. This ain't working. Right. And, and you know, there's like we're all going to we're going to lose our entire army here. So we better retreat, retreat, retreat. So they decide they're going to pull out. Um. And this caused a little bit of grief with the French. The French are like, "Come on now, you're you're leaving us hang." And the Brits are like, "Well, screw you. We're the ones dying out here, and right. we're the only like you got mm-hmm. nothing left." Uh, so you got Belgium, France, and Poland all just basically decimated in two weeks. Two weeks, basically. Yeah. So in the meantime, the Brits hightail it back towards uh, the Channel. The Germans get all the way north of the Channel, I think, to a small little t- a small little town. I wrote it down actually because I was curious. Uh, there's a small little town, so they're actually on the channel too. And and what what ends up happening is the the British expeditionary force, some 380,000 people, maybe about a hundred or so thousand of those were Poles and Belgians and uh, French, the rest Brits. They're sort of trapped in this bubble. On their backside is the is the English Channel, and then surrounded on all other sides is the German army. Right. And they they launch something called Operation Dynamo, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yep. They shore up the lines and say, we got to do something here. Now, this is going great for the Nazis, except on May 24th, two days ago today, they just say, you know, we're going to stop. We're going to hold it. So General von Klug and von and General von Rundstedt, they order the halt. And these are old World War I guys. These are guys that are like, oh, hold on a second. We're getting a little bit uh, out over our skis here. We've got these huge, untenable supply lines. Uh, if they if they mount a counterattack, uh, we're really vulnerable right now. Uh, they were overly cautious, perhaps. At the same time, you got old um, Adolf hanging out back in Germany, who heretofore has been Mr. Balls of Brass saying, attack, attack, attack. You've got Rommel probably involved in the game saying, I would guess saying, attack, 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 although the history on that is somewhat unknown. Um, it is. I wasn't he down in Africa at that time. He was probably down in Africa, but I'm sure that he had some input in this. Um, so there's all sorts of theories. Um, one is just that Hitler, well, Hitler decides ultimately we ain't going to attack. We're going to halt it. Um, so the original theory, there was a theory that Hitler had it in the back of his head. He's going to make peace with England and somehow, uh, you know, give a, give the, give Britain an out 
and make peace and sort of control his world that way. Now, we know what he did when he made peace with Stalin is they immediately breached the agreement and attacked later. Um, maybe Hitler was actually concerned about his overextended troops. Uh, they were they were they were tired. They had been going at it. They had supply issues. Uh, Hitler also was an old World War One guy, and he had he may have had concerns about his tanks getting through the muddy uh, terrain there, and uh, that's old World War One stuff. Um, it may be, and some are surmising. There was a there was a German historian later looked at this and sort of surmised. No, this is more about Hitler telling his people, "I'm in charge." I get to decide. I'll do it, and and I don't so be damned. I was just mm. gonna. I was just gonna ask you. Um, this I think is a precursor to the downfall of the Nazis because they had that such a strict command and control. Yep. None of their officers, even Rommel, had to get permission for yeah. everything that yeah. they did. They did the same thing. Um, on D Day. On D Day. They yeah. could have. They could have really turned the tide. But their tank commanders did not get any of their uh, orders, and they were stymied. They were stuck. Same at thing here. Yeah. This would have changed the face of the war, but their command and control was so strict, hmm. and it went but, to Hitler. So if he was sleeping, people just kind of hung out. But in this situation, it was a little bit more than that because you know Hitler Hitler knew about this and actually made the call, and the generals on the field are the ones that halted the advance. So. Nobody ever knows. And, you know, the, the old theory or the old saying is that the Germans kept such great records that they were easy to prosecute in Nuremberg. But here, I guess the records don't exist and nobody really knows what happened. I also got a hunch that Goering was up his backside because Mr. Air Force thought he could do everything with the Air Force. Um, and he was uh, sort of and Doolittle later on our side was sort of like this, too. Like the Air Force can win the war. We don't need you ground troops. We can do it. all. Oh, yeah, that's. And it's a little right. bit arrogant and it's a little bit arrogant to say it's not true. So either way, uh, Goering was saying, don't worry, I got this. Uh, and they decided to halt the advance, and, and Hitler instead unleashed Goering to in his air force. Now the problem is, and here's where here's where there's a couple moments in history like this where you just have to wonder if you're not a God believer, you don't believe in the divine, then ponder this: that a you all of a sudden had low cloud cover, so Goering's air force was somewhat ineffective. Right. B. At the same time, you had low cloud cover. You would expect like a storm front or something to come in. No, seas were calm. Right. That enabled a bunch of boats, and by boat, I mean boats, like sailboats. Private. From, now, there were yeah. destroyers and other transport ships, but England starts to send over all their— you know, Well, no, but like, they invoked the civilian, uh, the civilian Maritime Act or whatever. Yeah. So they had—everybody they, who had a boat, they sent over there. Everybody, amazing civilians. Yeah. Oh, it gives me chills. I got chicken skin too. right now. So they all everybody, all hands on deck. Everybody went over to rescue hundreds. How many? What is it? Two hundred thousand? Almost two hundred thousand? There were three hundred eighty-five or eighty-three or eighty-four thousand troops there, mm. and that got out. And I think they still captured almost a hundred thousand people. I mean, it was still it, devastating. It was, but it would have been done. I mean, it would have been oh, done. They could have. And, and here's what's amazing about this. It, like, I want to put this in a little bit of perspective, and not that I can, but here's the, here's the thought, press I, I ha, thought process I had driving in today. It's like, imagine the state of the world right then. Jeez. The most evil force Jeez. ever encountered in modern history that is seemingly unstoppable has just plowed through the best of the best. Just plowed, laid waste to it. Through it. Just. I mean, with armor, machines, soldiers, all better trained, all more capable, and they just laid us to waste. The British Expeditionary Force, I mean, it might as well have been that they weren't even there. Hmm. 
Um, they have taken Paris. They have taken the entire continent. And you're an island, Britain, just a few miles. I don't know how, what's the, how long is the channel, but just not very far away, spitting distance from the continent. And you've got this guy who is saying he's going to take over the world. <laughs> and like, imagine how dark and dismal and helpless and hopeless you would feel. Oh my goodness. You've got, and, and, and I don't think we knew yet how evil this guy really was. I don't think we knew yet his, his final solution and all the other nonsense that was about to happen. Oh no, I don't, um, I don't think we had full no, force on that yet. No. Whether we did or not, I don't know. But it's like, this is about to, it, but we did know he was evil. Now back on the Island, back on Britain, you had guys like CS Lewis giving uh, wartime talks on the radio. You had this sort of reemergence of faith and Christianity and then let's cue this up. Then you've got this guy who is now considered the most evil guy in the world because he's such a old white racist. Uh, just hit play there and see if we can hear it. All right. The British Empire and the French Republic linked together in their cause and in their need will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. Here we go. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if which I do not for a moment believe this island or a large part of it was subjugated and starving in our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old and that was us, the new world. Yes. So here's what's going on. Here's, here's what's happening here then. You've got a situation where on, I think that was on June 4. What was the date of that speech? Uh, June 4. Yeah, yep. June 4. So it's, if they had so just that was, been. Sorry, Steve. So that was right when Dunkirk ended. Yes. The, the excavation. Ex, the Evacuation. Um, evacuation ended. He, that was the last of the the French troops got retrieved, and the remainder of the French had to surrender. All right, so the, the state of the world. Hitler has proven that we are not even close to capable of putting up a resistance. He has captured, I don't know, 100,000 of your men captured or killed. Uh, we got out by the skin of our teeth at Dunkirk, and now you know it's coming. And they all knew it was coming. I mean, he said so in his speech. Like, if you listen to the whole speech, it's like, they're coming, and they're going to they're going to invade. He had threatened to invade the island of Britain. It turns out it was the uh, it was an air war instead because Goering again made some dumb. Goering Goering got arrogant, but right. if um, it's like they know it's coming, and they know that there is very little that you could do to stop it. And then Winston Churchill, and and, and by the way, this is on the heels of what a decade of Neville Chamberlain, yes. who is the biggest patsy in the world, giving Hitler anything he wanted, giving him appeasing him, uh, thinking, coming back and, and saying, I've just cut an agreement. We have peace in our time because yeah. I'm so awesome. 
Yeah. Well, and also, real quick, just evaluate. So our perception of this time is very different than what their perception was because World War One was so bad, and especially for them. Yeah. That trench warfare was so bad that nobody wanted to go back to any of that. Now, Hitler said, well, we don't have to, and this is how we're going to do it. Well, because yeah. it involved chemical but warfare as well, too. Everything. Yeah, they, they I mean, said time out after, yeah. after World War One. Yeah, my granddad was mustard yeah. gas. They said time out. We got to have rules about this shit because it was so, because World War I was so bad and the scars were so bad that I think that played into their policy. They, that nobody had an appetite for more of that. No. Right? Right. And no. nobody wanted to get involved in that again to the point where we, and there's some parallels going on right now, but to the point where they were, they were willing to make concessions that we look back on now that are lunacy. Lunacy, right. And, and part of the problem is I, this. There, there's so many parallels right now because right after World War I, it wasn't like if they would have, if they would have read their Abraham Lincoln history, they would have known that a tamped down, absolute destruction, intolerant, you're dead forever policy against the Germans when they lost that war was bad. Because it's sort of like, uh, and they did it in Afghanistan, right? We went in, we beat the Russians, we got them out of there, and then they screwed up the end game. They didn't do anything to help right. them rebuild. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. So Germany just got basically shackled. Their economy went to hell. Their, you could buy a loaf of bread for a million dollars is what the, you know, inflation went crazy. They, they were relegated uh, per the, the treaties to no military, no nothing, no nothing, no nothing. And as you look back on that, it was all just, it was all just revenge measures and punitive punitive and and i think people realize that in germany it, there was no place for them to go other than this you had left a void that was going to be filled by evil and evil was going to take over and literally in mussolini's situation make the trains run on time although that's not true but it right that, the idea is that we're going to reorganize our economy we're going to make it work um, and it, it, you had this long period where chamberlain <clears throat> just basically gave him whatever he took and didn't put up a fight, didn't even consider putting up a fight. And you're right, had no appetite for it. And along comes old drunken Winston Churchill, um, big, you know, big bolstery, blustery fat guy with. <laughs> but, and I guess he would stay up all night long writing these speeches. Yeah. Like he would just write them, scribble them out, turn them back. Like it, it, this didn't come naturally for him. Um, mm. And, but his delivery was so, it, it was so opposite of what Chamberlain would have done. He just, he just, they just got the living crap kicked out of them by a force that clearly was superior in every single way. And he gives a speech after we, I mean, we were, it, this could have been looked at like in the biggest loss of all wartime history. And he looked at it like, all right, now we're going to turn, we're going to pivot on this point and it's going to be iron resolve and we are going to fight on the beaches. Right. You know, it's like, it gives you chills. Uh, and, yeah. And what's so well, crazy. And his timing too. He had to time it all because the political winds were definitely against him. Yes. Yeah. They, you know, and he was always fighting the fight of this is coming, guys. This guy's a freaking nutbag. And look what he just did. He ain't going to stop. You're not going to stop, right? Not going to stop. Yeah. So you have, uh, this is going on back in 1940 today, right? So it's, yeah. it's interesting that, uh, yeah. that that happened. And, you know, maybe it's not our kids' lifetimes, but almost in, not even my lifetime, but in my lifetime, we heard stories about this stuff. You know, like oh, when yeah. I was a kid, grandpas would talk about this. And, yeah. and uh, it was, um, you know, sort of more well, it was, it was well known. I think these lessons of history, 
as I go back and read history, as I, I'm reading, like I said, I'm reading the Bible, you're reading that sort of ancient history next to that, it loses its uh, impact on me when it's not directly connected in some way to our lives. It's just, now they're just stories of old guy, of old ancient people who are dead. Mm. Right. And it loses the impact. It loses its flavor. It loses the, your ability to say, wait a minute, what can we learn from this as opposed to just uh, black and white now, you're correct, courier Steve. print stories? Right. So I remember 1976, there's my granddad, my dad's dad. You know, uh, He was a medic in World War I, had a third of his stomach cut out because of mustard gas, never talked about the war ever. Mm-hmm. And apparently he and his brother were basically war heroes. And think about it, he was a medic. He was right there. He was mm-hmm. right on Sold the front off. line mm-hmm. of all that crap. But there he is marching down the center of the street, raining. He didn't care in 1976 in Bicentennial, baby. Yep. And talk about being visceral. It's, that impacts me to this day. Sure. And, you know, and even then, I remember Bill Meeks, my mentor, talking to me about as a kid, he was at a parade where some of these old birds from the from uh, the Civil War were still sort of limping along. Yeah. Like, like the very last guys. And, yeah. You know, it's... um. It's it's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective, and it's one that I think is important, and that's why we're doing this well, throwback or what day in history in World War II. One because I love World War II history, and two because I think it's important to say, and all the parallels. Like we have China taking advantage of of things in the world right now, and we are letting them do it. By we, I mean the, the sort of the rest of the world is cool with China taking Hong Kong, right, and basically turning it into an authoritative state. And they're about to do that with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And and now there's this news about what they were doing with the virus and nobody seems to be doing anything about it or calling them on it. And it, it, it just seems to me that we if we are if we don't have the appetite for this conflict, then guess what? It's still gonna happen. It's high noon, man. It's coming. Yeah, yeah. It is coming. It just is is it gonna be this big or is it gonna be really big when it comes? Well, like you mentioned too, that what's going to happen in the future has not happened already. That's it's right. going to be different. It's different. So don't expect We're what just it. happened sure. to happen again. It, they, they, well, I just read this article recently about the Havana syndrome. I don't know if you heard about this no. or not. That we are now under attack by, well, it was initially Cuba, but now we're seeing Russians, high-powered microwave at CIA agents yeah, so that's- to, to get information off their cell phone, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And this syndrome is causing our agents to be sick. I mean, so migraines have, and stuff. And well, and this is the new warfare it's that's like they happening. Have concussions without a concussion. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. this it's happened real in 2018. Interest. Real interesting. And they got, uh, we actually, all of our like embassy people just had to leave mm-hmm. because all of them, and they're seeing it's some kind of microwave. Yeah. High intense um, microwave high intense, from mobile like units, like maybe five G. Yeah, yeah. shoot, it maybe could be directed. And, um, and, and Jay, you've said this before: yeah. wars aren't like the last. So, right. I mean, is it is it implausible? Is it really implausible that coronavirus isn't some sort of attack? Is that really implausible? What have I Fauci, been saying for fourteen right. months? Fauci, said, Fauci's readdressing this now. Well, yeah, okay, he's going to jail. That, that he perjured yeah. himself. Yeah, he's, um, he's, and he's, the 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 uh, the invoices. Are all the, it's all out. They, they didn't hide anything. He had some this, plausible deniability about it, this. Is like the crap that as a lawyer, you can see right through. It's like when people start answering questions and in, in, in using these little qualifiers. It's like so. All right, the money didn't go directly from here to here. It went from here to here to mm-hmm. here, and I didn't know about that. You know, it's like this is this is nonsense. 
And, but again, is it is it plausible that this is an attack? Yes, it's plausible. It's and like plausible. you said, it, like the, these these like warfare is not going to take the same form that it did because I think everybody realizes right now that, and after living again, maybe the lessons of the '60s and the Cuban Missile Crisis are are, are relevant here because everybody thought maybe in your lifetime more than mine. I mean, I you you got a couple years on me, but as a kid, I had a palpable fear that we were going to get nuked. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and I think, yeah. it, but at some point, because you realize, it was it was hit on us every day about it. Yeah. You know, the, the Russians are going to do this. I mean, there are pop songs written about yeah. you know, uh, what are the Russian kids thinking about us? Yeah, exactly. You know, well, uh, when I was in basic so. training, our little targets that we shot at for basic riflemanship were little um, Russian guys. They? they had little stars on, yep. little red. They yeah. had a whole uniform, three foot, you know, little yeah. dummy things that you shot at were Russians. Damn. And, and, you know, so why it's not that far-fetched of an idea to, for China to understand, all right, if they shoot a nuke at any Western or uh, any other power in the world, that they're going to get the same in return. Like, those lessons have sort of been tried and mm-hmm. tried and uh, and figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's not right. going to work. We all have the same technology unless you go to space, like we were talking about last week, and set up a defense uh, structure of some sort, the iron, what do they call it, the iron dome or whatever. All right. So I, I guess the point of going through this history is not just that it's interesting and there's really cool stories, but it's also to give a little bit of living history to it so maybe we don't forget those lessons. Maybe we can look back and say, all right, what do you do when you just have somebody who is so evil and is so willing to take over? Uh, what happens when you just appease that person and think that that's going to be good enough? You know, and and I'm not saying that's what we're dealing with now, but I'm not saying that's not what we're dealing with now. No, it's I'm, like it's certainly you, you just can't wash it away going. Oh, it, not in my generation. What did that Churchill was the other say generation. about you know you can't uh, negotiate with a tiger when he has your head in its mouth? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and he understood it. And I think now uh, I just read this article about the the Russian army. And their their latest, you could probably find this too. If we were live, we would we could show everybody. <laughs> but the, like there the, there was a promo video of some sort that the Russian army uh, put out, and it it ta- it showed their sort of their young, healthy, in shape males getting their head their haircut, getting high and tight, looking like soldiers, and being you know the, these these sort of traditional we are powerful. Uh, and then they show like some the American army, which is like bending all its standards for whatever the local politics are of the day or whatever the politics are of the day, mm-hmm. the wokeness of the day. And, you know, you can say that all that, you know, whatever, 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 but they're doing it, right? I mean, that's the thing. They look at right. that as weakness. And if you, I don't necessarily think that it's irreparable. I don't think that if, um, I don't think that if, if Russia does something aggressive that we couldn't tool up and figure out what to do to deal with it. But the point is that it's sort of like 1940 again, right? You know, we're gonna we got the Maginot line. We think we're fine. We're resting back on our laurels, and everything is cool. But they're not gonna stop and play woke. They're these these people don't care. They're not gonna play by the rules that we're setting up for ourselves. And one big, just like Hitler didn't. Yeah. One big difference uh, when we had to fire up everything and convert auto factories to making bombs or planes. We had them. We don't anymore. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. So it's going to take some so, more time. Right. And we're buying the stuff we need from the people from that are there. Right. right. So yeah. it's uh, anyway, that's uh, who am I to comment on all this? Well, we're right here. Lawyer talk doing it. Yeah. Well, so that's well let, me, let me just add this. Let me just add this to it. So what we've all learned throughout, you know, the, the 20th century and wars, um, what happened in Europe, what happened in Japan, 
when you you know go in with all this uh, technical gear, all these people, what happened to the landscape and everything else? You just crush it, right? Yeah. What would be the best war is to win without firing a shot. Well, sure, right. This oh, unconventional sure. collateral stuff, right? So if you're going to kill yeah. a bunch of people, do it with a disease. Do it with uh, pestilence. Or e- hmm. economics. And or shut economics. down their, shut Econo- down their economics. economics. I mean, that's, that's ideology, war. The ideology yeah. behind it. Like, we're going we're gonna to turn our country, we're going to turn this country in on itself. We're going to make it hate itself. I mean, it's like these are things that, that have been planned for a, almost a, half a century. I've been saying it for well, a year. Well, the CIA has been, try- has been yeah. effectively doing it in other countries. Yes. Why can't it be used against us? And yeah. it, like, and it, it's it propaganda. It's it is, is being used against us. Sure. I mean, we're at a day sure. and age where it's not cool to say, I love this country. You know, that's and, and that's not by accident, I don't think. You know, I really no. don't. I, I no. don't think that that's entirely by accident. But uh, mm-hmm. and then the, the only last thing I'll comment about about this is that just because somebody does one thing you don't agree with doesn't mean that other things they have done aren't awesome. And you can say and criticize and, and make whatever comments you want about the imperialistic nature of Britain. And, and, you know, their colonization and all the other crap that people uh, rail on them about. And then, you know, sort of Churchill is the, is the poster child for that criticism. But then he steps up after they just got their living, the living crap kicked out of them. They got their asses kicked by the most dangerous force and intimidating force on the planet that we have ever known. And he says, we are going to fight. And mm-hmm. we're not just going to fight. We're going to fight on the beaches, in the air. We're going to fight in our backyards if we have to. And if we lose, then our colonies are going to fight for us. And we're going to keep fighting until God lets us win. In the new world. In the new world. That was a reference to us. Yes. So this is like, we are going to fight. We're not giving up. And we're going to be there. And, you know, I think the the power of that is, should not be underestimated what Churchill did. He created resolve that then got got Britain through that next chunk of time before 1941 hits uh, in six months, I guess, from now, roughly, Mm -hmm. or eight months from now, seven months from now, in December, when uh, we are forced into the war through Mm -hmm. Pearl Harbor. Uh, And then Germany inexplicably declares war, too. But anyway, that's um, it's sort of like that saved the world. And I I don't think that that is, I don't think that's that's an overstatement. That's not hyperbole. He saved the world from Hitler. He did. And, and, you know, you can say, well, that's, uh, you know, whatever. Well, we wouldn't be sitting here talking uh, unless that guy, that fat, drunken guy uh, with his iron resolve and his intellect and his ability to see what was coming didn't put his foot down and say, not on my watch. It's not going to happen. And we're in this and we're going to win it. And that's that. He saved the world. Right. So the freedom that gives people to criticize him is premised upon what he did. Yeah. Well, and that yeah. message too was directly to Adolf. Yes, as well as like we see you and the United States. Yeah, he, like he says, it really was more for those two than the, his own people. Quite it sure frankly. was. It sure quite was. Frankly. But he was telling his people, "Don't give up. We got this. Right. We right. got this. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't give up your resolve. We are. We are. You know. And, and you can say, well, that's that's because he's a, su- a supremacist. Whatever. It's like." I, I, he's, no, he saved the damn world. You're being attacked. He's, I mean, he saved yeah. the London world. got firebombed. You know, I mean, if these people were living in the tunnels, you so, know, and they just came out and they just went about their business and freaking. So nowadays, it. those yeah. who criticize Churchill without in fine, criticize all you want, pick out the bad stuff, but note the good stuff, too. You don't cancel somebody for just bad. You got to look at what they did and what it's all about. 
And instead of standing on the shoulders of these guys like Churchill and taking a piss downward, then maybe you should stand on the shoulders and say, now we can do it. We just, you know, we, we've got the foundation to do this. Let's just keep moving. You know, th- there's right. a better way to do this. You don't mm-hmm. have to make the same mistakes that you note that others before us did, but you also don't have to destroy everything they created either. And that's, right. that's my, that's my. Well, yeah. his Operation Dynamo, that was his idea. Yeah. He's the one that invoked the civilian, marine, or maritime law, whatever it was. He's the one that freaking rallied those guys that right. saved 200,000 men on that beach. Yep. He said, we're going to do it. 200,000. And there was zero of, precedence for this. Right? Zero. Zero precedent for this. You zero. don't just marshal the, in, in, the, no. in those times, say, all right, mom and dad, get your boats, go over there right. and get our boys back here. And then then people do it and under they fire. Well, there's they there's a lot it. to empowerment if you think yeah. about this. If we empower people to do what is instead of tamp them down and criticize right. let's empower that's such let's, a great point it, it get them don't do yeah. it what do you they really understand do? the power he, of well, this well because of him because he led them to that mm-hmm. he said this is what what has to happen bring our boys home and he got the patriotic because everything. your your brothers over exactly. there your cousins over there go get them exactly. and, yeah. and, and the political I, I can't stress enough the political wins against him were freaking stout yes. you know and america didn't want any part of this right they're like hey man this is we, we sent our boys over there before yeah. we ain't doing it again we're man. not doing we were, it again we were in isolation mode right then and, uh, big, big time yeah and he knew what was coming because he saw it he saw what the hell happened i mean th- what what the nazis did was Unbelievable. It was unthinkable. It was shock and awe. Like, I mean, those Stukas, he put sirens on the Stukas. So when they would dive bomb, these sirens would go off, scare the living crap out of people yep. with 500-pound bombs. I mean, it was just, it was stem to stern. They were so different than what anyone has ever experienced, down to their uniforms, for God's sakes. Yep. Hugo Boss. Yeah. They were, I mean, it, it just, look, it, the, I guess the point is, is that, he didn't do this by saying our country is horrible and we deserved all this. Right. And this is what happens when we do what we did. We get Hitler. Instead, he said, he didn't even, he just said, it doesn't, he, he knew it didn't matter. We have this evil guy and we got to take it on. And it's not about us. It's about what this guy's doing. Uh, and he created, I'm going to say a nasty word, nationalism uh, that rallied around this and was used for a cause. Everybody thinks that nationalism is what made the Nazis Nazis. That's total nonsense. No. Nationalism is something that exists, and we have to define the term, like mm-hmm. pride in the country, right? So nationalism. I have pride in my country. Now, nationalism was used by the Nazis um, to do really dangerous and awful and horrible things, but it's not the only thing that makes a Nazi a Nazi is not nationalism. There's a whole lot that goes into that fascism and what it really is, and it's not nationalism. You can have a totally free country that is a nationalistic one that's proud of itself. You can have a dictatorship country like like uh, the fascists who have used nationalism to gain power and then tamp down all their uh, opponents. So I, I just it, it's okay to be nationalistic about your country. It's not okay to use that nationalism to take over power and then cram down authoritarianism. Almost a blind nationalism. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then and then it, they immediately turn on themselves and then tamp down anyway, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't matter. But then you right. have, like the other side now, it's like our leaders aren't getting up there and saying our country is great. We got this. Everything, you know, we're, we're still a powerhouse. We're still free. We still have the – we're not hearing that message coming down from above anymore. It's not being taught to our kids in schools. It's not being taught – and, and I think that we are going to end up, I don't think it's going to ruin our country. I don't think it's going to end it, but it's, it's setting us back in ways that are dangerous. And, um, 
you know, every now and then we can maybe use a little Winston in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's uh, that was uh, more than the 1940 May 26. I was going to. That was a day in history there, boy. In history. <laughs> but interesting stuff, right? You could take those topics. This is why I was a history major. You can take that stuff and, and, and move it around on the historical timeline. Right. And, oh, hist- totally. and history and, does repeat itself, but maybe yeah, in a different totally. way. It can. And if you even go further back, I mean, just the continuance basically of World War One is what World War Two is mm-hmm. and all those policies and everything. Mm-hmm. Just like what you were saying, had that spawned whatever happened, but it. That's just fascinating to me. In how, many ways, we're still fighting World War II, right? I mean, uh, yeah. In many ways. Yeah. We're, we're at the aftermath of that. It was never quite done. And, you know, Stalin or uh, Patton. Patton. Patton was like. He knew it. What, he goes, no. I, I, I don't know if I've told a story on the show. I probably have. It's like there, there's this story of like the retreating Germans as Stalin is invading. These guys are running and it's, they're gorgeous May days, you know, or spring days. And finally, the winter is, the awful winter is over. And they're sort of, uh, they're running um, west as our troops are moving east and they're surrendering or whatever. And, and our guys are saying, no, nah, you're, you're, you know, hands up, dude, you're, <laughs> you're the enemy. And they're saying, no, aren't you going to go fight the Russians with us? Right. That's how that, the, like the Nazi soldiers on the ground understood that, that these guys, they looked at the American, and this may not be true of Hitler and the, and the, and the leaders, but, the soldiers themselves, I think, in some ways, looked at the Americans as equals. Like, look, you're like a, you're like we are. We have this similar value structure. You know, we believe in these things, and it's so skewed that they, it, you know, I'm not imparting Nazism on the United States by any measure, but that's like on the ground. They could, they had Christmas together. You know, it's like yeah. it's sort of it's, no, it's sort of interesting. You're actually correct, and, and the way that I it, I think it's fascinating the way that that Germany views Russia and vice versa. I, it's like polar opposites, man. I didn't, I mean, Hitler thought that the Russians were just lower people, like just freaking cretins. That's yeah. what they thought of them. He had, well, I mean, he was, yes. And there were a lot of Jews and he just wanted well, to yeah, kill like them. Russian yeah. Jews. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. what he, what he really wanted yeah. was what they had, which is oil. So, right. So resources. it goes back to, right. well, and think about that. What do we have? Sure. So you've got, you know, so that when the Nazis were uh-huh. retreating, they were saying, let's, aren't you guys going to go fight the Russians with this? Aren't you going to fight Stalin with this? And, you know, politically, there was no way that our country was going to do that at that no. point. It's sort of no, like no. the end of war. It's like, are you kidding me? Mm. No freaking way. Yeah. And that's why Patton, who was about as, pol- he was about as uh, delicate and uh, effective politically as a, <laughs> as a anvil and a hammer. <laughs> but he understood that what was coming. And anyway, so he did, a, he did his job. That, yeah. The politics was not his job. It was to win battles. You need Patton, but yeah. not necessarily to engage in treaties and Correct. politics with yeah. other countries. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. like well, that's be, why we had Ike. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, what, yeah. I think that guy's underrated. Of course. Right. Look what he did. Eisenhower, I mean, look what he did even afterwards. I mean, dealing I with think Montgomery, that, dealing oh. with Patton, dealing with our people back home. Oh my God. Dealing with, like, like under his command well, were so the, many different types of people. And with the English. I mean, and, and the Brits. Right. And the Brits and all of that, you know, I mean, they were literally swimming upstream trying to get the, you know, Churchill had him going, but the, but the policies behind the scenes were were not mm. what you would think they would have been. Yeah. And I, 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 that stuff is just fascinating to me. And I didn't learn it till later in life. Right. I'm still learning it now. You know, Steve's the buff, the history buff. Um, you know, and, and a little bit of what's, 
you know, we, we our son, junior, now going into senior year is, is frustrating for high school history is that it's always – and World War II is important. I get it. Right. But we never get past that. And, and Steve made a point that we are still – we're still quote unquote fighting it. Yeah. But we wouldn't know that though, because we never get past that in history class to know, okay, that evolved into Korea, that evolved into mm-hmm. Vietnam. Right. Even into the two thousands. We have yeah. twenty one years of history yeah. that it's not, we're not teaching and understanding how and this all that. evolves. They're teaching the wrong history. And I don't care what anybody says. The Soviets were bad guys. They were bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they would go in and kill people and take over and and cram down their authoritative regime and eliminate freedom. And I think that's bad. And instead, we're like uh, th- this turned in the '60s when we were saying, you know, we need to get out of Vietnam. We need to not. We need to do this. And, and it, it it's like we had a chance there to do something to eliminate that problem, and we didn't. And the political winds changed a little bit. Like we're the bad guys for stopping this. And then as a result of pulling out, the Soviets go and kill. Another million people or whatever it is. I mean, it's like nobody talks about that. And that happened. And it's not um, it's an unfair treatment of history to say, one, that Vietnam was totally right on our part and two, that it was totally wrong on our part. So it's not Mm -hmm. that is that there was a good reason that we had to resist the Soviet Union because they, like Hitler before them, wanted to take over the world. I will crush you. I will bury you. <laughs> These are their words, not ours. Right. Hardcore you know, communism has killed well over 100 million people. Well, 200 million if you count yeah. now. 200 you know, million like, if you count now. Yeah. And it's insane. I was going to say one more thing about yeah. Ike, um, and then we, then we should move on, or maybe not. Um, they used to say in Britain that the, the Americans, what, I, I think I wrote this down correctly. It's coming, coming from memory, but they said they're, the American soldier, are, they are oversexed, overpaid, and over here. Yeah. And the Americans would say the Brits are undersexed, underpaid, and under Eisenhower. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Well, yeah. When your when your title is Supreme Commander, right, right. yeah, right. Yeah. It just is. Uh, it, it's hilarious. And, well, let me tell you, we should do something on Ike one day because we really that, remember remember that one story I told you about um, when they, he went up to uh, the Arctic after World War II. Yeah. And they had a super secret mission up there to uh, chart the Arctic and to figure out what was going on up there. Fascinating story. Mm. Well, Ike came up, and they were having an officer's dinner with all the wives and everything. And one of the one of the junior officer's wives said, yeah, I, I met you. And he goes, six years ago, blah, 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 you were with such and such. Yes, I remember you, Marjorie. Isn't that incredible? How the hell do you... What? That's what kind of, I mean, that's the type of mind that guy had. I, I, it, it floored me when I read it, and I'll wow. read it on air. I'll, I'll actually get the whole story. Yeah, we'll get it. That'll, that'll fit into our it's like, series. So think about six years previous. That was like 1940 or whatever, 1939. You know, what was on his plate? You know? Isn't that incredible? <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. he remembers some freaking event. <laughs> it just, uh, the. And, and it's to say that he probably wasn't the best battlefield general. He probably wasn't the best um, uh, political leader, but he was good at all of it. He was, yeah. You know, and, and that's like, but not the best, but good at all of it. And yeah. had that had that ability to bridge all those gaps. And, yes. And, and then lead people in a way that instilled confidence. And Well, that's actually a good description of a leader. you got to be good yeah. at all of it, but you also oh. have to be better at I mean, finding the right people. And he also yeah. built the interstate you. system. And you have to know what you can't do. Yeah. Know what you can't do and right. find somebody that can. So I yeah. need somebody to get up and uh, during the Battle of the Bulge, I need somebody to get their backside up there and help 
as quick as possible. And there probably were people closer. I don't know the history well enough to know, but there were probably American generals or allied generals that were closer. But Eisenhower knew who to call. Yep. I'm going to call Patton. Because if I tell that guy you got five days, he's going to do it in two, mm-hmm. just to prove it, just to say, yeah. just to do it. Yeah. I mean, and he, he turned knew him around. What he had he turned him around 180 degrees, and they made it up there in two and a half days, and yep. freaking. And and he knew what he had with Patton, and he knew where it was going to be effective and where it wouldn't be effective, and and really calling holding Patton back when he did was sometimes people criticize that, but man. He had to make those decisions, and then he he also had uh, Monty and the Brits to answer yeah. to, and he had other people back home who who wanted this thing done. Why are we killing? Yeah. What my boys are dying. It's like it's such an amazing. Oh, think of just think of the personalities that that guy managed. My God, MacArthur. A room for, uh, what about the what about the South the oh, South Pacific we do something on that too. I mean, my God, that, there's great Japanese. There's there's some good Japanese history that we should look at too. And, yes. and it involves some of the some of the warts that the Americans have too. But yes, uh, you know, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, let's turn to car. We talk. Let's go back to the Blitz. We had the Blitz questions. We uh, I think we all started talking during our little brief break about the dog chipping thing. I mean, that, yeah. what an interesting. It, it, it really brings up this this notion that and let me rephrase. Let's recap the story. So the woman found a dog right. and was trying to figure out who who the owner was. In the meantime, she fell in love with the dog. The kids like the dog. Your mom likes the dog. Grandma likes the dog. Whatever it is, the dog. And we can all we've all been in that kind of scenario. It's like I've even found dogs before. I found a boxer one time at um, the unfinished wood furniture store out by the <laughs> on the east side. Yeah, Billingsley Road, I think. Anyway, they uh, and this dog was awesome. I mean, gorgeous. You know, boxers look so oh, regal, yeah. and yeah. this one was friendly, and he was. It looked like he was still a pup. And man, I wanted to keep that dog. I wanted <laughs> to keep that dog. I wanted to keep that dog. And I something in my gut said, "Call." There's no way that whoever owns this dog wouldn't love him as much as I do. Yeah, I mean, more probably because they've connected. And so we took him over to the, the local shelter, and I think I called back, and the owner found the dog. And mm-hmm. you know, it was a, it was a good story. But, man, I wanted to keep that dog. <laughs> now, this woman wanted to keep the dog, and she takes it in, finds out the dog is chipped. And so, Did I get that right, that the the whoever looked for the chip actually found the they owner? They found? Yeah. I, I, that's what I got from the story. Yes. Then what gives? I don't know. And, and, she, and her big thing was that she wanted to contact the owner to say, do you want the dog back? And yeah. they would not give her that information. So, and Brett and I were talking about that. I think that's a privacy thing. That I don't know if you really want the two parties because sometimes oh, animals get stolen and all does. that stuff. Yeah. And that's a touchy issue. Now, I told you a story about Kevin. Found that kitten, found that cat with a chip in it, took it in. They contacted, they meaning uh, either chip the people. vet or mm-hmm. whomever. Some intermediary. And, and called the guy and he's like, no, nah, man, we don't want that cat. So then Kevin's like, all right, I'll, I'll take it. He's had it ever since. Now, then what Brett and I were talking about is what's the responsibility? So say I get my pet chipped and then it gets lost or something and then somebody reads the chip whoever has the technology to read it are they obligated then to call the owner i i would say i would look at it this way well there's a couple different layers i I think you're right that you don't want the owner or whoever finds the pet to have the owner's information that makes sense that now, what we're not, we're not, let's talk about what we're talking about, what we're not talking We're not talking about some sort of law that's written in the books that's approved by the General Assembly here in Ohio or promulgated by the General Assembly. I mean, we're talking about contract rules. Mm-hmm. So when I go have my dog chipped by the vet or whoever did it when he was born, um, I'm sure I signed the agreement that said, here's how it works. 
my guess is it works the way you're saying. Is it, it that the whoever finds a dog is not necessarily authorized to have my information? But right. to the extent, and they probably don't have the chip reading capability anyway, and that's somewhat baked in. So they go right. to the vet who says, oh, look, there's a chip. We've got the little thing. There is a scan. third party to pull the information. And I would think that it's the third party's oh. obligation to not tell the finder of the owner. How do you enforce that, though? So I don't know. Now, maybe you have this situation where the third party is uh, we should, you're, Jay's looking it up. I'm looking it up right now. Really, what we should be doing, but I'm speculating. Um, it's like this is all private stuff, so I can't enforce a third party to honor my agreement just because. You know, right. Well, this is wild. You can actually track down a dog with their dog license number just on the freaking in yeah. Franklin County here. Yeah. I assume that the dog didn't well, have that's, a collar. And, that's, so, the, and that's, that's the incentive to get your dog licensed. Yeah, and that's that's like you know goodwill. You know, I'm a pet guy, so we would. Yeah. I would course, do that. Right. But yeah. I, you know, I, I presume from but, this that the 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 dog in our case had lost its collar. Yeah. So, yeah. But it had a chip. No mention of it. You're right. Yeah. And or maybe was it was like never licensed, conveniently lost. Yes, never licensed. I can't imagine that though. I mean, if it's got a chip, it's not. Well, maybe. No, I mean, well, no, she I, went we, so far. That to... was part of an interview with uh, with Stenziano about you know dog licensing. It's a very low percentage of dog licensed. Really? Oh, very very low. Yeah. I mean, because it's the fine is so low. Yeah. That if you don't license your dog, but at the same time he says, but if you lose your dog, we're going to ask you, did you have get your dog licensed? Yeah. And then that's bad on you because <laughs> we could have helped you find the dog. I don't you know? like the fact that the government has my dog license, but I always right. pay, I pay but, the first. Uh, yeah, either way. So it's a rule I follow. Yeah, it, it is. Um, but uh, no, it's interesting. It's, so yeah, it really doesn't. It's yeah. just implied that animal care and control um, or the um, dog shelter will track down the owner it's implied i don't think it's a rule or a law but my point is if the technology is there so your vet puts that technology in there somebody can scan that which is presumably another vet or maybe they can't i don't know or it's just the shelters vets can do it i would think that then they are obligated to contact the owner and it says it it doesn't say they're obligated but it says they'll do it yeah, the shelter people. So maybe this is one of those where where morality governs the day. I, and I, I, as soon as you say that, you're going to look it up, and I'll find something in the Ohio Revised Code that mandates this crap. But uh, it, right. just because, and here's the other. Here's a, this is, brings up a common fallacy that is relevant today: is that just because you write a law that says you have to do it, doesn't mean people are going to do it. Like the dog right. license, right? Right. right. It's like it doesn't yeah. mean that yeah. you're going to do it. So just yeah. because there's a law that says I have to, as a vet, notify the owner, doesn't mean that they're going to do it. So I, I guess I would say that uh, – what well, the bigger question that we sort of kicked around is what is the – it's lost property. You find something that's lost. What do you do with it? It brings up this sort of moral dilemma of, all right, so I found this wallet. It's got no cue to ownership in it, and it is uh, – there's 100 bucks in it. Like, what do you do? You know, it's like this weird – you're in this dilemma. Do you go back to the store where you found it? This just, it's funny that my wife just found a $25 Starbucks gift card in a parking lot on the pavement mm-hmm. near a, I think it was, I think it was at Home Depot over there on Bethel where they, where there's donations have, there's like donations you can make there or a, a, like a, they have dumpsters out there and you can put donations. Okay. 
in that area in the right. parking. It's it's not like it's manned. It's like like self serve. Yeah, those big metal bins. Big bins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she found it there, and she was trying to give it to like she's like I was trying to give it to somebody else who was there. I was like, is this yours? Do you want it? It's like <laughs> nobody wanted. Like you didn't know what to do with right. it. Right. And uh, it's like, what do you do in that scenario? Like, are you, are you convinced that if you take it into Home Depot that they're going to do anything with it? Of course. I mean. It wasn't even close to their stores, like on the other end of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. There was nothing else you can do with it. There is no, there is no clue to ownership on it. You have right. no way to figure it out. Right. And I, I suppose you could call the police and say, "Look, I found a lost gift card," but that becomes lost property. That's that's lost property. There's no clue to ownership. It's really you can really quickly exhaust exhaust all your options, and then you can probably keep it. What if it's, what if it's clearly lost and there's a clue to ownership, like a chip or like a tag or like something else on it, or a wallet that's got, um, a driver's license in it? Right. Well, now you've got some obligation. You can't just keep that. It's pretty clear and it's obvious on its face. Any reasonable person would know. Is what the law would say, that the owner of that wallet didn't abandon it there on purpose. That they want it back. Right, but with a microchip pet, they may have same thing. No, yeah. no, they may have just like in Kevin's. No, but it's uh, but implicitly though, you would start with the opposite. You would say, yes. "Well, this has a this dog is well, a because trip. The, because the chipping is not an opt out situation." No, correct. You, you have to pay to have that done. Yeah, and, but you're going to have it done. It's going to be done. You don't adopt unless you have the chip in it. It's part of the whole process, right? I, no. It, well, if I, when I bought my dog, I made a choice to pay extra money to have the chip. I was thinking that chips are it's, you, it's done. Mm-mm. You're paying for it. No. Okay. No, I bought my I dog at a breeder in Iowa. Chips. For some reason. Minor chips. And I'm pretty sure. Okay. That, I have seven foot fences. I'm okay. pretty well. sure I chipped my dog, <laughs> okay. not maybe, at the maybe, breeder, but back here somewhere. Maybe it was. Yeah. Maybe yeah. It was. Then, we, we adopted Miles now seven, eight years ago. So I, I was thinking it was so, an option. But, now, but an adoption thing. May, they, that, like, when you sign the agreement. They, yeah, they might they actually. That was through the shelter. Yeah. I thought it was. It's all part of, you know, neutering, chipping, you're going to have it. Yep. It's it's because it's low cost. It's what twenty bucks, something like that. You right. know, but well, it's worth I'm it. Right. I'm it is. Like, oh yeah, for I'm sure. kind of like Steve. I don't know. I know where my dogs are. Yeah, <laughs> depending where well, you get them. I, I, ch- I chip mine because I go out and hunt with them. Yeah, right. And you know, I can easily see a scenario where he catches some scent and he's bye bye. Yeah, correct. You know, so sure. and that and that is your only recourse to a dog running away is to put a chip in it and and. Really has a faith that people will say, I'm surprised. this dog is lost. Yeah. I'm surprised it's that there's not better techno- like GPS technology. There probably is. There has to be. Yeah, there probably is. <laughs> because, but, well, yeah, I mean, well, that's in the collar. Well, they're tracking yeah. us I right here on this that, phone. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put the phone in the dog. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all on. in the collar stuff. My buddy uh, yeah. who's a bird Yeah, I have GPSs in the collar. Yeah, he has. I don't, but there's models that do. I didn't spend the extra money. Oh, he does all that. It's pretty slick. It's unbelievable, When you're running multiple dogs and you've got the little monitor here that you can see where your dog's running, it feels pretty cool. Oh, he has a dog trailer that he built. I mean, he runs like eight dogs, Mm -hmm. ten dogs, whatever. field trials. Oh, yeah, the whole nine yards. That's cool. But uh, the moral moral issue is interesting. It's like, and you wonder, uh, here's the old saying. You're not allowed to turn a blind eye to obvious clues to the ownership. You can't just say, I didn't see that when you know it's there and you just didn't want to look. So, all the Fauci does that all the time. Well, it doesn't make it right. <laughs> so it's like the always I could just say. And here's what here's where this sort of struck me, struck a chord within me. It's like we all know that's wrong, and how and why do we all know that's wrong? So when you, when you say, like, look, I, I, there's a chip there. Don't even tell me. I don't want to know. Or you don't even take this 
dog you found to the vet to see if there is a chip there. Right. Or you don't, I don't take the boxer, there's before chips, but I don't take the boxer to the local shelter and ask, is somebody missing this dog? Mm-hmm. If not, please call me. I'd love to adopt him. Um, you know, if, if I just say, wow, this dog's right here, I'm just going to presume that he's mine. Right. Well, you're not allowed to do that. That's theft. If it, but you, you almost could find a moral defense to that. What about when I lived in the country and people would just come out and dump kittens in the farm field? But I think that's a that's a that is a legitimate question, and I think there's a legitimate difference because we all know that people dump boxes of kittens everywhere. It happens. Yep. It just yep. happens. But there's also the mentality, and that we we learn this through humane society training is that cats can survive on their own. Oh, Maybe survivors. that's why they dump. They, that's they, why they dump them. Well, so dogs, cats. dogs can't. So what cats would, are feral. They, they can survive. They can hunt, so, they can hunt on their so own. We would do, as long as they're not declawed, of course. We, uh, you know, but they'll find they'll be okay. We'd capture every one of them and spay and neuter them, and then they became barn kitties. And if they wanted to stay, they stayed. They just killed all the mice. It was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, but farm cats are light and, and yeah. they run. I just, I don't have any problem with cats in the wild. I got a huge problem with the cat. I hate to call them cat ladies, but it's like, it's that, it's that quintessential right. stereotype. Right. right. Where and it's B. Sort of the, yeah, and B having the quirky, old, cats, yeah. the quirky old lady who's One just of my feeding dogs. feral cats. Yeah. One of my dogs, uh, Dewey. Uh, he's Stone Cold Rescue. Uh, they dumped, he's a Merle to Merle. And in the Australian Shepherd breed mix, Merle to Merle's, a lot of times there's a genetic defect there. So a red Merle and a blue Merle or a red Merle and a red Merle where the dogs will come out. If they have all white heads, they're usually deaf and blind. Mm. So these backyard breeders, these idiots that destroy dog lines, you know, they bred red Merle's. So all his puppies were, all his siblings, most of them were either blind or deaf or both. They dumped them off in a farm field in Bowling Green, Ohio in February. Man. So my Aussie rescue people just shooting. I mean, my, I hate to right. say that, but it's it's better for the dog that you just put him like put really? him down. Yeah. So you know? well, yeah. well, it turns to, out it wasn't better. It turns out it wasn't better because you've adopted him. You found yeah, him, but true. Chances I are, found him, but yeah, but he's a mistake of nature. But he's he's our stone cold rescue, and we got him. And he got placed up in Michigan on a farm. You know, nine grandkids. I mean, Aussie these people were awesome. They met me halfway. You know, hundred fifty bucks. And we got Dewey. We got a tail. We got an Aussie with a tail. Mm-hmm. My vet buddy who I played football with in high school, uh, he's a veterinarian, specializes in teeth. He's also an Australian Shepherd guy. He's so stone cold that if he doesn't like the dogs that his bitch threw, he'll take the ones he doesn't like. He calls them, just snaps their necks. Mm-hmm. He's a vet. Stone cold. Just it's it's but remarkable. That's what you do for the line, but man, I couldn't do that's that. That's what you have to yeah, do. No, yeah. I couldn't do yeah, that. That's tough. And and you can't afford then to go have them all spayed or neutered because right. it just it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. But he's a vet. I suppose he could do it himself. Oh yeah. But he, um, certainly. I, I don't know. You know, it's 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 funny how the old school I have old school hunting buddies like that, man. They just oh, uh Yeah. It's like um like to me, I wouldn't care if Dexter didn't hunt that well. He's my dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's For a flunky. Them? We call him a flunky. So my cousin used to have German shepherds, and they they did a lot of stuff like you did, Brett. They would, mm. you know, volunteer here and there, and then they got in with the uh, German shepherd training programs for all the um, armed forces and for your police guys. Yeah. Well, they picked up what they called the flunkies, the guys that just, you know, that or the disability dogs, you know, dog trained that flunked. Yeah, didn't make <laughs> it. Yeah. 
fantastic dogs. Oh my gosh, I, mean, I can imagine. How would, you know, so they got, she used to say, oh yeah, these are all my flunkies, and they're the best dogs It's like, ever. I'm sorry, you, you, weren't good enough, you weren't quite good enough. You didn't make the cut by a couple points to be the seeing eye dog, but right. so we just, we can't use you. Here, do you want them? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and they like, were the best dogs. Yeah. Right. And they're always like good. Those dogs are always like uh, the nicest, kindest, gentlest. Totally, like the golden spot retrievers yep. or the even the shepherds. Yeah, the shepherds, are, yeah. yep, spot oh. on, man. The most mellow, cool, chill dogs, Lexi just was and that smart, way. just yeah. smart, and we're just and just happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. But, What's going on today? Yeah, <laughs> I know. But I'm going to get back. To, I'm going to get back because I'm going to make a greater point. Oh as, yeah, as, good. As, keep as going. I often do. Mm-hmm. It's like we all know that when we find property like that, we have an obligation. We do, I think. I mean, how many people pick up a dog and don't at least think, man, I wonder if the owner wants You'd it. hope your conscience would start yeah. to kind of yeah. pick if at you a little a, bit. A and, little and, bit. Unless yeah. it is obvious that it was an abandonment. And, 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 and abused. Then, and abused. Yeah. And, and yeah. Well, and so like, even yeah. then, you still think, I wonder what happened to this dog. It clearly, you know, clearly there's a backstory. I'm just going to, and then you can say, I'm going to keep it because, and you, you're going to have to come up with some reason within to justify that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you have to come up with a reason within to justify it implies something greater, which is implies that we have within us some moral compass that says, here's what is right. And Correct. this is when I was listening, when I was kicking around the question, it, it made me ponder that for a little bit. And here we're going to get a little bit religious, not huge, but a little bit. There's a, <laughs> we already talked about a guy named C.S. Lewis, who was, uh, he gave a series of talks during World War II back in, I think, 39 and 40 during the battle of, or during the Blitz. Uh, they called him in. He gave a series of talks, and it became later a book called Mere Christianity, and he's written a bunch of stuff. Started as an atheist, became a Christian, but he was making a point. He, he starts that book with an argument on the existence of God, and it is just that. It was like somehow we all have within us this moral uh, notion of right and wrong. And you know, he would refute the counterargument. This is only developed by Darwinian principles that we have to have that, otherwise we wouldn't survive. And he makes a distinction. He would say, no— uh, those kind of things, if you see that in the animal world, they just do it. It is instinct. They breathe. They do these things, and they they have this sort of like Dexter going out and hunting and bringing back the food. You know, that's instinctful, and that's what he does. He goes, the difference here is we know that we all have that moral compass within us on what to do with the missing dog, and there might be a clue to ownership. And the difference is this. Sometimes we don't follow it. Like sometimes we, we know we're supposed to do the right thing, but then we don't follow it. And then we know that that's wrong. And that it's such an, it's such an interesting dichotomy of what you're doing. And we're going to invent a bunch of reasons, maybe why we could justify it, but you know, it's wrong. You know, somewhere that doesn't fit with us. And I bet you that is consistent with every population in the world on some level. Like, you know, that when you don't, when you find that missing dog, the puppy, Somebody probably lost it, and you really should find who try to find who whose dog it is. Well, and that's why that young lady called mm-hmm. because she wanted affirmation. She was doing that's the right, right thing. That's right. Versus really, I, I've done all this and this this. She had I, that I did pang okay. of guilt. She had that sure. pang of guilt, and even where, though the boys and the girl love the dog right. and it's great with mom. She knows it's not right. She it's knows not right. right. Like, please, I got to find somebody that go. You're yeah. okay. It's yeah. okay. You're 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 absolved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and C.S. Lewis would kinda. say that transcends parental raising or, or 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 your your upbringing or anything else. It's like it's an eight within. It's an eight within us. He would say, and what makes it different than these Darwinistic uh, things that have developed is. 
that we don't always do the right thing. We choose often instead to do the wrong thing, and we know it's wrong. And that's where things get sort of awry when you call it instinct, because we as humans choose the wrong thing. Animals don't. You know, it's it's a weird. It's because we're fallible. It's a uh, and then why? We're human. Right. And and he would take that farther and, and develop a, an argument for Christianity, which we don't no. need to go into. But it's it's such an interesting thing. It's like how, and this this fits within the law in the Western version of the law that we uh, ascribe to of things that are, we have a distinction, malum and say, things that are just bad, or uh, malum and say, things that are bad because uh, they are just innately and morally wrong. And then we have written human laws that reflect that. And then we have things that are malum and prohibitive, things that are wrong only because that we have created a regulation that says so. So a regulation to get your dog license is malum and prohibitive. A regulation to return a lost dog, well, you know, that's malum and say. If you don't do it, it's just bad. We know it's right. bad. And it's an interesting thought to say why, or, to, or an interesting question to ask, why then do I have this pang of guilt when I keep it if there isn't innate morality within us? And then where does that come from? And that's the greater half-religious well, message I was going to give. Let mm-hmm. me ask you this, Steve. Is is that viewpoint purely Western? Uh, and, and our, and C.S. our Lewis Judeo-Christian... Would say, C.S. Lewis would say those kind, that kind of core moral compass exists across the world. Really? Well, because every, every religion has yeah. love thy neighbor. You know, the uh, Easterners, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, most do. I mean, uh, I, I think there's a common, there, there is a commonality there between religions. There is a religion. commonality, and there's also, like, there's been studies, and I can't— I think I, that's what it is. I can't quote well, this. I can't quote yeah. studies, but I'm pretty sure there's been studies looking at people who, like the abandoned kid they found in the forest and has no— upbringing whatsoever and just like the Jodie Foster what was there whatever that movie was, Nell oh yeah okay, okay. Yeah. you know it's like they have they have an innate morality within them you know they have learned and 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 they haven't learned nobody's taught them they, they just mm-hmm. have it innately and you could say well they needed that to survive and how could you say that then it would be the opposite you would keep that dog if you needed it to survive you know but you'd still know it's wrong like I would go kill my neighbor's cow if I'm starving in zombie land Knowing full well that it's wrong, I'm stealing their cow, but I needed, I made a decision not to follow the law or not to follow my moral compass. And so the answer to your question, Jay, is he, C.S. Lewis would say that with some variation, that exists within everybody, every human across time and across populations. And it's sort of like love your neighbor. You know, it's like we know these things are true. We know they're true. and, And we're not taught that. And who's taught right now? It's probably taught less and less right now. Love your neighbor. You know, it's like I was taught oh, that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm taught sure. that in Sunday yeah. school, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but still, people feel that way. Yeah. Like you know, treat do unto others as they would do unto you. You know, I think get that, to the well, servant. That's what it is. Do unto others. That's what I, I tell you, man. Yes. I, I think we've lost that I, a well, lot. It's the do unto others. I, yes. Look, yeah. I, I don't think we've lost it. I think people ignore it, but I, I think it's still innate in people. And you know, it, it, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. I think is that uh, when Jesus uh, gave his famous Sermon on the Mount, it's described at least in, I don't know if it's all four of the Gospels, at least three of them, um, in different ways. But it's like, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, this is this is not an earth-shattering thought. And it's, if you, it's not that if you don't believe that, you're not Christian. It's not that if you don't believe that. You know, it's like everybody sort of understands that we're going to get along this way. And this was Locke's theory too. It's like we have to figure out a way to get along and, and that's sort of baked into our mm-hmm. in our being. And when we don't do unto others as as we would have them do unto us, 
We know we're not doing it, and we often come up with all sorts of ways to rationalize it. Um, oh, that guy's an asshole. I'm just going to do this. You know, he deserves it. Right, right. And, you know, the Christian message would be it's not for us, you know, judge not, right, lest mm-hmm. you be judged. And and that's the – that's it's that that led to C.S.'s C.S. Lewis's argument in favor of Christianity is those sort of things where you would say this is innate. We all have these feelings. We all have this understanding, and there is no other – um, logical explanation for it beyond there's got to be a God, there's got to be a creator. And then he, then he would go farther and say, well, it, it's either one, then it has to be an unforgiving one because why would you create, like, if you don't follow these rules, then there's a consequence. And then, then that gives him a little bridge to get to Christianity. And then he gives, he gives the son the ability to, to, to give you an out for the consequence. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's a, it's a, and that does that, that, that structure does cross civilizations. You know, the, like the, many of the ancient civilizations had some version of that, uh, where you've got this omnipotent God, but there's always a way out. You know, you, you, we understand that there is fallibility, uh, et cetera. So anyway, I didn't mean to get too deep into it, but it's an inter- it's important to know, like, why when you get this dog that you feel like I should call into the Blitz and find out what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It's like, because you love the dog, you want to keep it, but you know it's not right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't tell me that's because your mama taught you that. Right. And there's more to it than that. And mm-hmm. it's, and I don't, you know, we're not going to get, uh, this it, isn't. Well, it would be totally different if it was that they found a chainsaw in the ditch. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's a great looking chainsaw. You would have no second thoughts unless the owners etched its their name on it or you know, it, it belongs be to, different. then you probably would keep the chainsaw, wouldn't you'd, you? You'd probably keep it, but you know that it's wrong. You know that yeah. you should at least do something to figure it out, or you probably. should at least go through a checklist in your head that, what could I possibly do to figure this out? There's nothing I can do. There's no way I could ever figure this out. Right. Now- That's what I mean. That yeah. There was no chip on a chainsaw. Right. But you've at least, you've at least yeah. given it thought as to why you should keep it. Yeah. In other words, you've made up your excuse as to why you're going to ignore the inherent moral dilemma that you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's it. And I've done it. We've all done it. Mm-hmm. The $25 gift card. All right. Like, how am I entitled to this? Well, and, right. and I and I found uh, driving by on Grandview Avenue a, a wallet on the side of the street and going, okay, I got to go around and pick this up because I'm sure it's got a driver's license in it, whatever. The, if I had found this, if I had lost my wallet, I'd want somebody to do the same thing. Hell yeah. So mm-hmm. I went, found it, did have an ID in it. So I go up to the Grandview cop shop, mm-hmm. give it to them. But I'm there for an hour. Waiting right. for the owner to pick it up, yeah. and I, I'm not interrogated or anything like that. I knew yeah. I'd be fine, that sort of thing. But it's but you kind of go through the degrees of oh crap. And this am is I looking at like I they're going to think I did it. it? Right. I know. They're then I think I then did. I get, then I feel guilty now, so I'm going to give it back. Right. This is. But uh, I knew I was doing the right thing though, because yeah. I felt this guy's got to get his wallet back. Because you, did the you right would thing. want somebody to do that if you exactly. lost yours. Exactly. Sure. And if you didn't. You knew it would be wrong. You right. knew that would be wrong. Even I knew it was wrong that I, if I didn't turn around to go get it, yes. that was the guilt things. I, I got to go get this. This now, is not right. Now again, I, I think it, 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 C.S. Lewis would say you felt an obligation to go back and get that because you knew it wasn't right. But not everybody's going to feel that tug. And no. if they did, they're going to come up with reasons why I'm late. I don't have time. I got to do this. Easy. I got to do this. I got to do that. But most people will understand that the right thing to do would be to go find that wall or get that wallet and see if I can help get it back to the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it doesn't mean that you're always going to act on that. You might come up with, like, if your kid is sick and you're on your way to the hospital, 
No. You can justify You're not that. Right. Do it. Right. Yeah. But no. uh, but you still know. Like there's still something that pulls you there. And it's not because your parents taught you that, is what C. S. Lewis would say. There's mm. something more to it. And and then the fact that you are willing to ignore it at times and not do that for whatever reason is 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 further telling of our own free will and choice to ignore the the moral compass. And that's right. different than an instinct or an instinct that's innate in us. So yeah. that's uh, I'm gonna disagree just a little bit. Because I do think that the culture you're in, I do think that you learn from that and you know, it's your foundation. And it either brings out a moral compass or it suppresses it. Now he apparently did he claims I haven't dug into this. So I confess my ignorance, but let me just let me argue what I think he might sure. argue is that I did look into this and across across civilizations, there are examples of this that exist. Oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying like for China, for instance, um, there's a lot out there that suggests that they have um, not the moral compass we have. Now, I'm not talking yeah. who's they. You're talking like China as a government or China as an in individual Chinese person. Uh, actually, both, because I think the governmental structure that you're under will take a portion of that and not necessarily brainwashing, but this is what our doctrine is. You're on you're on you're on the second half of the inquiry, though. It's not that you always act on it. It's that you don't always act on it. So the question is, do does a Chinese citizen know innately that if they find the wallet, that it's not theirs and it and and, and it would be the right thing to do to go find the real owner? Or do they not know that? I'm not saying do they act on it. And and I think what you're saying is culturally, we are going to be more prone to act on it yes. than others. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, okay. But the 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 knowledge and, and the inherent understanding of what that means and what it is is different. Now, I'm not saying we always act on it. I'm saying we always don't. Right. And, and so the point is, like, look, you could be brainwashed through culture to say it's all community property anyway, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep it. It's mine. But inherently he would say, no, 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 no. You know, and you're making a decision not to follow that for this reason. And and I can't prove it. I haven't done the studies, nor have right. I read them. I'm just giving you the argument that he made. That'd be a nice deep dive. People have done just, it. just uh, anecdotally here, I just found some stuff. I put, uh, you know, Christian morality in China or whatever. Uh, fascinating stuff. People are converting to Christianity They're, in China faster than ever before. They are. Yes. They are. Um, but It's, it's there, fascinating. It's, hmm. There's... Um, when we think of selfishness, we think of the proverb, each person should sweep the snow from his own doorstep and should not fret about the frost on his neighbor's roof. Uh, that's a longtime Chinese sociologist. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's, well, let me ask you this something is, This is fascinating stuff to look at. Let me ask you something then. If To me, that favors what I'm arguing. Yeah. No, because that, implies, to, that implies that innately you're going to worry yes. about your neighbor. You're, you're trying to teach proverbially yeah. you're not, to do, not to worry about that stuff right. because you know, we're, we don't need to in our country, mm-hmm. in, our, in our civilization. But you do. So if you don't have to say that, or if you have to say that, then I think you can prove what's behind the door is that you have – if it didn't exist, you wouldn't have to say that, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, here are um, C.S. Lewis's uh, talks that you were talking about right here. Yeah, that later became a, a sort of assembled in a book called Mere Christianity. Yeah, right here. Book one of Mere Christianity. Mere, yeah. M-E-R-E. Yeah, like it's just very simple. Called The Right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. So uh, his first one was Common Decency. 
mm-hmm. scientific law and moral law, mm-hmm. materialism versus religion or, or religion. What can we do about it? Listeners' objections. Yep. Yep. So fascinating stuff. Uh, how did I not understand that C.S. Lewis was a, uh, um, he came to Christianity from he devout atheist from atheism went really? to Oxford University as an atheist Interesting. became a professor as an atheist started to hang out in the pubs <laughs> with the likes of um of Tolkien mm-hmm. and uh the Hobbit guy well Jesus Pete I mean now you're talking he was a some... Christian and was converted to Christianity through philosophical exploration of the topic and I think there's a there's a there's a uh there's a biblical reference in Luke. I forget what it is that talks about this. Be able to defend your faith. In other words, don't just take, don't just grab faith. And it's in the sermon. It's everywhere in the Bible. Like, don't just believe it because you say you believe it. Don't just do it because you want your neighbors to uh, be impressed by you. Um, C.S. Lewis believed that if you're going to come to some sort of faith with Christianity or anything, really, you should have the the fundamental foundation philosophically to defend it. And he got there. And then, hmm. and that's why he had this, this concept called mere Christianity where, Look, the governments have complicated this, particularly in England, if you go back historically, right? There was like, they fought a 30 years war, the the, the glorious revolution. It's like, it's all yeah. this, this notion that the government is telling you how to be a Christian. And, you know, he says, no, it's it's there. It's written in the Bible. You just go read it and then figure it out on your own. So it, this is why so, I've talked to you about this, Jay. So many scientists end up in the in this realm that, all right. The farther I get down this rabbit hole of science, the more I realize I don't know, and it leaves more room for the possibility of a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's easy to it's easy to shut something down if you don't think about it. Right. Yes. Right. And and C.S. Lewis would say it, and then he goes and writes these books. Like he wrote the like sort of these hard I don't want to say hardcore, but these these sort of uh, nonfiction philosophies about Christianity and some of the the thought process. But they're not Bible thumping books. They're very philosophically and, and written like um, maybe more like Aquinas. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he also writes this, these other books like Narnia, right? right. <laughs> Which it's, as I look back, as I read those as a kid, it is it's metaphorically the the story of the Bible or the New Testament. You know, that's what it is. Uh, and it's uh, he. So he was coming about this sort of sideways and saying, "We don't need all this formality. Don't believe it just because I say it." learn it, understand it, and then come to faith the way you should. And that way you don't become this critical uh, asshole, Mm -hmm. you know, accusing others of not being this or not being that or holier than thou, so to speak. You come about it in a very simple way, and it's mere Christianity. It's not complicated. You, You figure it out, you come about it, and then it gives you essentially an instruction book on how to live. And none of it involves treating others poorly or judging anybody. <laughs> that's right. what's fascinating about well, it. Well, and there's, I think there's a lot to this to, to allow our minds to investigate it because we, you know, there's some, you know, churches that are just their their young ones have, their, you know, their high school kids. You've got to remain a Christian. You have to remain a Christian. Don't ever think against it. But it's like, well, let them Doesn't investigate work. it. Let them because if they leave and come back, they may be stronger. Yes. Because they figured out this is the way I look at it, and it's still Christianity to them. It is, and there's a 
man, this is funny. I just had this talk when I was 14 years old or 12 years old, 12, 13, 14, I was in a band with Freddie, our sound mm -hmm. guy. And, um, it was a Christian band. It was a Christian rock band. He taught me how to play guitar and we were all going to sit down and pray one day and I was going to be saved. I was going to become a Christian and, and, you know, it was there as a group. I remember it like it was yesterday in the lobby of this church. And I, I, in the middle of it, I, I, I just, I can't do it. Mm. it. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, I can't do it. I can't do this. And it was, um, and I looked at that for years in different ways. I always, I never forgot that moment in time. And I, and I never, and I didn't go back for the longest time. And uh, I just said, I can't do it. And, 50 or oh, not 50 years later, 30 years, 35 years later or so after a journey of life, I come back to that. And then the realization hits me. It's like, if I, what was I resisting? If it wasn't there, you know, it's like I, you start to have these deeper philosophical thoughts that led me to the conclusion is not only um, is there something there, but I want that now because I understand that. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a journey to get there. So now that is juxtaposed to the other thing you were just saying. It's like kids are brought up on it. Like you're a born again Christian, you're brought up on it. This just, trust me, Sonny, this is how it is. You must do this. You must do this. You're going to church, you know, the Tim Tebow thing. And, and, yeah. you know, he's, he's awesome. He's a great guy and he does so much good. But if for me, that wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it would not have worked. No. If you said, don't go explore yeah. that and come up with a foundation. If I can't defend it at the microphone here now, then I wouldn't ever believe it. Mm. Well, I think you can look at that too, is do that with everything in your life. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about politics. Defend, yes. If, it, if you question whether you're being you know, Republican or Democrat, whatever, then question it. Yes. Question it. That doesn't Everything. mean you're wrong. You just took the words out of my mouth, Brett. Question I, I was it. just going to say dogma and ideology, ideology are the antithesis of free thought and spiritualness. Yeah. They are. Because and, take a look at history. Of, and, at both parties or all parties that ever existed, they turned. Yes. Over time. Oh, and I just think of just my own profession, hardcore scientists who are just dogmatic and probably better scientists than I am. Um, number one, they can't think outside the box. Mm -hmm. And if they're an atheist, they're always going to be an atheist unless literally something happens to sure. them. Yep. Like the light of God like touches them physically. And right. that does happen. They will it never. Does it does. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I know a lot of guys, I'm like... So look and at it, it could be at the eleventh hour of their life, could be. and it hits and, them. Yeah, yeah. And, and metaphorically, if you're building, say, a floor, you're going to do a tile floor, and if you start at the, it, it, this is the difference between in a lot of things in construction, and I've, I've sort of bridged the gaps of both, right? I'm like almost a professional, but still a DIY guy. Which I think is the best of both worlds because I get to ask. <laughs> right. I get to ask, why are we doing it? You just don't, get, you just don't right. get the discount at Home Depot. Though. Right, I, don't. <laughs> I do have some businesses now. Yeah. But I always ask, like, why are we doing it this way? Why can't we do it a different way? And I come up with solutions to problems that others may not. But it's uh, if you start with a floor or uh, the DIY guy on a floor, they run into problems because they skip the steps that are necessary to make it work right. So you know, construction is really very simple. And the difference between the weekend DIY guy who's got some skills and the professional is really simple in my humble opinion. And that is the DIY guy, either because of time or because of, you know, I don't care, it's my own house or whatever it is, will skip steps along the way. And it is then no surprise to me that their floor fails, mm -hmm. right? Because they didn't check to see that the joists were appropriately sized for the floor or, and the span wasn't too far for the floor they're putting on it. They're putting on marble. It's going to be more brittle. It's going to crack. It's going to give. It's going to flex. There's going to be deflection. And they, they don't build up the proper layers or shore it up the way they should, or they don't put the right underlayment, or they don't do something like that because 
let's face it, I got to be done by Monday. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, that's all a bunch of crap. I don't need to do that anyway. That's only for the pros. And, and the pros would say, well, there's a reason we do it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. There's a, reason my, there's a reason I put a warning on that and I, it won't fail um, because we figured it out. Now, I think if you're going to come to faith with God, with any religion, with a belief in a, in a certain political party or ideology, you need the same groundwork. You have to understand it, figure it out, and be able to defend why your floor is not going to fail. It's called foundation. It's called foundation, yeah. right? And yeah. But it's funny, so I'm not that DIY guy. So you know how many times Scott Boog Powell tells me, because Scotty's a carpenter and he's a fraternity buddy of ours, mm-hmm. and he's a real carpenter, um, came to it later in life, but much like Steve, they are the two finished carpenter guys that are ridiculous. And he always tells me, he's like, geez, oh, Pete Simons, what are we trying to do? Reinvent carpentry here? No, this is how we do this because I, I go beyond. Yeah. I, you know, because I'm like, this is not coming down on my watch. Yeah. Reinvent carpentry. Yes, he tells me that all the time. Yeah. And that comes from Petterini, by the way. Yeah. You don't need to. Uh, right. Petterini, one so, of his pitchers would take, would take all this time and like call off the catcher, you know, because Scotty was a catcher. And uh, Pedrini would be like, Jesus H on a popsicle stick, son. Are we trying to reinvent pitching? Just throw the damn ball. <laughs> and the, I get, but it's it's still relevant to the point we're making only an opposite. And that is, the, like, he knows and the, the true pros know not only what they need to do, but they know what they don't need to do. And they know what is yes. clutter and they know what's too much and they know what doesn't work and they know what is not needed to make it work. And sometimes that has its own so unintended I'm the guy consequences. That I'll get that process because I'm a process guy. Everything has a process. Starts with a foundation, you build up. I'll follow that because I don't know the shortcuts. I don't know any of the other stuff. But sure. I'll follow that just so it's right. I have to have it right. Mm-hmm. And then only then can you go back. And my, it's like ask Jared about cooking. Like how long do I cook this brisket till it's done? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and he means it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because yeah, he can right. look at it and tell when it's done. Right. He knows innately when it's done because he has done it enough to know when it's done. Yes. But if I don't know when it's done, I may not be able to cook a brisket as well as he can cook a brisket because I don't have that experience and innate ability yet mm-hmm. to know when it's done. But I can get it mostly right by following the rules. Oh, yeah. Right. But f- yeah. In a courtroom, I can teach people fundamentally how to cross examine somebody and be passable and good at it. And then come see me in 15 years and I'll teach you how to be great. Right. right. It's like, yes. right. Exactly. You have to have some under your belt because to get you better. have to be good before you're great. And yeah. if you're not good before you're great, then you're neither. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's really simple. Mm-hmm. And it's um And that brisket's gonna come out harder than a freaking three dollar pig steak. <laughs> right. Right. But throw it out and you start again. Then you start again and learn. But it's uh it's sort of like anything. Music is that way. If you like the fundamentals of music theories I've learned in the last few years. You know, there's so many people that slough it off. They're like, oh, you know, that's just going to hold me back, or I don't need that. I'd rather get high and go make it up on my own. But what you're realizing is that those aren't rigid rules that box you in. They are guidelines that lead you to infinity. Or, uh, infinity right? right. It's like right. It, this, this gives you so many tools that once you understand it, you can put a vocabulary to it, and then you can start breaking the rules. And that's what that's like what's, a foundation. You can build anything on it. So when I Damn. encounter a problem in my construction, my condo, and I just did this. I had the inspector come out and he looked at it with me and he goes, well, I like what you did there. And I was like, there's no book on that one. He goes, no, there's not. And because, and, but there's, there's, so there's five different ways you can do it. You got to pick the right one based on the experience that you had. 
And short of ripping out the second floor and reframing it, it's like, yeah, all right, which is too much. Which is what Steve really wanted to do. I did. Um, <laughs> of course you did. You know, we're going to head it off and we're going to shore it up. Got a sledgehammer with its name on it right there, yeah. Uh, and it'll probably hold and this and that. But it's, uh, I guess that's the point of all this. So back to the uh, Blitz questions. How do we get from dogs to... <laughs> To God? To, to God. God? I don't there know. you go. It's a mirror reflection. Spelled backwards. There you I was go. just going to say, you know. <laughs> all right. All right. You tell me that there's not God when you look in your dog's eyes. Exactly. You tell me that. Yeah. You tell me that. You bet. You bet. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been riveting. What is it? The uh, What do you get when you cross a, an insomniac, a dyslexic, and an agnostic? Someone who stays up all night really wondering if there really is a dog. That's awesome. That's a perfect oh, ending for this God. one. <laughs> uh, no, that's, uh, <laughs> we got lots of stuff going on here. Every Wednesday, obviously, we're doing the Blitz and uh, with different cast of characters, but mostly the same, I guess. Different at different times. You had a good event on Friday. Uh, oh, yeah, Jim McMahon was yeah, in town, Yeah, talk a little man. bit about that. Yeah. Man, old Jimmy, he is such a phenomenal guy. There's more to him than just an obnoxious football player and a smart ass. <laughs> he spends all of his time now helping out veterans, helping out charity groups. I mean, that's what about he that? does. Yeah. And, you know, he gave up, like he did a question and answer where the audience could throw questions at him, and, and um, that was fun. But then my buddy Phil, who brought him down, Phil Lopez, he said, look, I, I'm good friends with Jim. I've met him, and I met him because of my own charity golf event that he works, that he operated through the, um, or for the Akron Children's Hospital. Mm. And he goes, Jim's never going to tell you this, but I'll tell you this. Everything this guy does is to help other people. Everything he does. And uh, it is, again, back to that point, it's like you don't judge somebody by just the stupid stuff or the things that you think you wouldn't do or you're better than. But look at their bit. Look what's really going on individually within people. And McMahon is one of those guys at the same time, he's freaking hilarious. Hmm. <laughs> my, my, you know, my son, I, I, my my oldest, he's sixteen or seventeen now. He was there, and we 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 got to talking about uh, his car. It's a stick shift Honda Accord, and uh, you know, McMahon sort of chimes in, "You drive stick shift?" And he got, Drew's like, "Well, yeah." And then, then they got this. So he's sitting there talking to Jim McMahon about stick shifts. <laughs> and standard transmissions and how it's fun to drive. And, uh, and we get home, he goes, I can't believe I was, he goes, that was a guy. And now my son didn't know who McMahon was until sure. he saw some of that video. And then he looked him up on YouTube and did some of that. And the next day he's like, man, I can't believe I was talking to that guy about my, my, <laughs> my stick shift. I was like, it just shows you how my down earth the guy is. Yeah. And he was much more interested in hearing how my, like hearing my son's story about learning to drive a stick shift than he was talking about himself. And that's a real guy. Mm-hmm. You just, know, um, and, and people are just people. I mean, everybody puts on their pants the same way. They get up, they do, they have the same phobias. They have the same thing. Yep. Just depends on where they, you know, where you are on the spectrum, whatever. That's a real dude who, who wants to talk to your boy about stick shifts. Yeah. Isn't that neat? <laughs> Drew will probably tell that story someday. He probably oh, yeah. will. Yeah. And, and it's, um, I think it's also important on the other end not to treat those people like they're royalty. Correct. And, and yeah. then you, Correct. You, when you do that to people, you bring out the worst. You create a barrier that um, that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, and I think there there's a level of respect, of course, of course but yeah. it, it's not the honorarium. You are the be all. Yeah. You, you did some good stuff right. on the field. Thank you. Right. That was I, great to watch you. You know. Well, that's I what I do. I, I've never treated a celebrity any differently than I would treat you. Exactly. And, that's what I do. Like in airports and stuff. If I I'm like, hey Jim, how's it going? And normally when you call them out, it's whatever, you want to get a drink? Yeah. yeah. Just talk. Whatever. And, and I've done that with, with lots of people over the years, and it it tends to work for me, I guess, is that it's, um, 
You have to, I have to think about it, though. It's, it's, it's hard not to be starstruck. Mm, it is. It is. And uh, you just treat people like they're good people and normal people and then see how it shakes out. But no, it's uh, and, there, and you're right. There is a there's an amount of respect that you can have for somebody without making it awkward. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, look, man, I had a blast watching you as a kid. That's pretty cool. And then, yeah. then we'll talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, it doesn't need to be anything more than that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Jim McMahon was in town. He was, uh, we did his little event. There's some really cool stuff coming out. They're, they're in the midst, they're about halfway done filming this. Um, actually, they may be more, they may be done filming it, but they're about halfway producing and editing his uh, documentary. And it's getting shopped around. I thought it was Netflix had gotten it for sure, but it, it's getting shopped around, and what they were doing was sort of showing half of it and getting feedback, and uh, kind of a screening. Yeah, sort of a, like a half. Okay. So we didn't see all of it. We did see the first half up through the Super Bowl win, and uh, in eighty five or eighty six, and the guy, you know, I was like, well, what else could there be? You know, you almost think that, and he showed us like a couple two minutes of some footage afterwards, and it shows McMahon in like a like with a neurologist, McMahon mm-hmm. like with. Um, like with the veterans, like you realize, and, and, you know, the producer, the, the director of the documentary got up and said, that was only half and it's not even the good half. Wow. And we were all blown away by what we thought was the good half, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's like his SMU victory or his, uh, uh, Brigham Young victory over SMU in a bowl game. And, and then the, the, like his rise at, in Chicago and all the crazy you know the headbands the roselle headbands all, like all the <laughs> oh, funny stuff he God. did and his general attitude and and uh, it, it just it was it was just genuine and awesome and then we learned that the the next half is going to be even better and oh. it's uh, he goes that doesn't define his life the second half does and uh so that that's coming out at some point i know jared is out of town he's in vacation out at the ozarks um but he is still doing amazing things with jason banks so there's more to come on that We've had somebody call us recently and set up a – they want to do their own podcast here in the studio. And uh, that's great. And, that, and what's great about that, Brett, is it's just people who want to do a podcast. Yeah. You know? It's not just for business purposes or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like I think it's a great it's a great medium to get points of view out and encourage discussions like the one we had today. Right. Funny or not. Yeah, well, I think people are finally realizing this may be the last vestige of being able to talk. It is, yeah. Uh, in in a situation where you feel safe to do it. Yeah. And without a clock, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like how many times have I been interviewed on about a case and I got like they, they talked to me for two minutes and they used fifteen seconds. Mm-hmm. And the fifteen seconds they use is not the intent of what I was no, trying to right. say for two not minutes. Right. And it's like, ah. Oh. Yeah. So this is uh is a great forum for that. So if you've got a podcast and you want to get involved and obviously look us up, lawyertalkpodcast.com. You can submit a question there if you want your questions answered here at Lawyer Talk. And as always, we're on the Blitz every Wednesday. If you didn't get in, you can get in here. Uh, and then if you want your own podcast, channel511.com or look up circle270media.com. There's um, lots of resources here we can, we can provide from uh, just getting you in front of a mic, but far more than that, obviously it, there, there's, there's not, it's, it's not rocket science, but it, it ain't construction paper either. You know, there's, there's a little more to getting in front of a mic and producing a show and creating some content that is repeatable, that is interesting and that uh, will get you where you want to go. And uh, I've had to learn the hard way. Brett helped a lot with that and he can help you too. So, uh, you know, don't forget here, you can always go to channel 511 on YouTube, watch our videos 
You can hit like, you can subscribe, and you can even go to channel511.com and become a Patreon. That means you can agree to give us money every single week or every single month. It's easy. Yeah. Just put it on every your credit week card. You like. Yeah, put it on your credit card and forget about it. That's what we like. <laughs> um, anyway, this has been uh, yet another Wednesday edition of Lawyer Talk off the record, but on the air at least until now.